And it's my first time in my life when it's like, I've actually arrived at a situation where I can be the first person to think of something interesting that no one has thought of. That was legendary Mike Purvis, ex-Nearcore engineer, co-founder at Croncat and contributor to the Cosmos ecosystem. Also, one of the most cited and requested people on the podcast. On this conversation, we go deep, we get personal, and we connect the dots. There are many wondrous, never-heard-before stories and unique insights. From his humble origins, joining Nier in late 2020, to his mysterious departure in March 2022. From core contributor with a monthly salary to co-founder having to hustle for survival. I really enjoyed Mike's sense of urgency and purpose as he talks about an upcoming extinction event where a lot of blockchains will die in the future. We start diving into the importance of differentiating yourself, product market fees, and its relationship with value creation, community, governance, what gives near superpowers, and more. There really is so much on this conversation that it is impossible to cover in an introduction, but trust me, you're in for a wild journey. Without further ado, enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Sir Mike. Crevice. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another Wild User Interviews podcast with me, AVB. Today, I've got with me the one, the only, Mike Purvis. Welcome, Mike. Hey, it's so good to be here. And thanks for the patience. We've tried to do this a few times, and I've always been the one being like, I'm sick again. I really appreciate that you don't hate me. And it's awesome to, I, I've been checking out all the stuff on Twitter and just seeing a lot of like really active people in near, and that's really awesome to see. And you're like s- still here, still pushing, and a big part of it. So huge kudos. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, this is what, the sixth, seventh time we try recording? To be fair though, they've all been great excuses. Like traveling to Berlin, death's door, what's it called, in deathbed, traveling to Bali, list goes on, but. I think the last time that I ghosted you, I like was, I felt so bad that I was like, I need to record a video apology just so you know that I'm not like pulling your leg or something. Nah, 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 it's all good. Look, life happens. It's actually worse when both people rock up to the podcast and then the live goes out or something. <laughs> At least we both knew ahead of time and we could reschedule our days. But yeah, look, you've certainly been one of the most requested and maybe most referenced as well. I reckon you and Cameron Dennis are probably up there. Oh, cool. I'm honored saw, to hear that. Thank you. You probably saw that clip where I said that I would not engage in criminal activity but I would be in favor of kidnapping you to get you on the podcast. No, to get you back on your Both. Yes. So I, I do want to give you a little slice of life. I think that was the interview with Benji from Key Palm, right? And Benji was saying just very nice things about, I don't know, I feel like a very special connection. Like there was a, I, that felt like there was a moment of like real mentor-mentee vibes going on. And so I, I took that clip, I put it on our TV and I showed my fiance and she cried. Like it was that beautiful, dude. So that was a very meaningful moment for me and our family. Even my dog cried, dude. Yeah. Thank you for telling me that. My eyes are tearing up. See, I thought it was me, the problem. I was like, maybe like phthalates in the water or something. Like I got to go back on keto. Like sometimes I just look at some segments of the podcast and I'm like, am I about to cry? But yeah, I think you're right. Like we're capturing history. And the most important thing are the people you meet along the way. So yeah, it's not often that we get a little bit of recognition or praise because we're just so busy and there's so much drama. But yeah, yeah, look, I think that one thing is to have 
stature within an ecosystem. Another one is maintaining it, especially mm. as time goes on and the roles change. Because you started back in near core, like early days, and you've been at Cosmos for how long now? I think it's like a year and a half. Yeah, when I got a when I got a job in near, I was trying, but I don't know if I if anyone really knows this actually. I got really pilled, but just Web three in general because of honestly Brave and basic attention token, and I just like had this moment where I was like, oh, this is amazing, and I was literally cold calling people in Portland, Oregon, being like, oh, you work at Coinbase or Gemini. I know that I won't be able to write smart contracts there, but maybe I can like just eke my way toward some kind of thing where I can eventually write smart contracts. And then of all things, a bloody recruiter reached out to me and was like, hey, there's this thing called Near Protocol and they're looking for like developer experience people. And I was like, either I'm like dreaming or hallucinating or this is exactly like what I was hoping to do. So when I started, we immediately went to Argentina and this was like before COVID. So this was like, we were in Argentina with the first, with all the, it was only like a couple dozen people at that point. And like, I remember someone was like walking around being like, hey, there's something going on in China, like with some disease or something. So anyway, that, that was a whole backstory of like how this all happens. I got to get some great FaceTime with a lot of the amazing devs. And I feel especially privileged to have been able to join that early and like get to see, this is just one example, get to see the silly side of Eugene, for instance. Like he, he, I don't know if you know this, but he's like a really, he's like one of the funniest, silliest guys like ever, but you have to be around him to get a glimpse. And I, I just remember like those memories were so great. And then suddenly it was like, well, there's a whole bunch of people here and I kept, couldn't keep track of names. And oh, it was just an amazing experience seeing, seeing it all grow. I, it's funny you mentioned Eugene, Eugene the Dream. He's one of those people that I would like to have on the podcast, but I wonder whether they're like the podcast type. Because some mm. people are just not very speaker friendly or of a machine kind of vibe. And I'm not going to lie, he's quite intimidating. He, I wouldn't fuck with Eugene, just putting it out there. He's, uh, yeah, he's done some, he's taken some stances over time. And he's liquidated me several times on borrow cash, by the way. <laughs> no. But I got to know, yeah, that was hilarious. But I got to know him quite personally at East Denver. We had a near hacker house. And it was one of those moments where you're like half asleep, half awake. And you're like, this is really nice. It almost felt like Christmas with family. It was like nighttime, everyone's doing their thing. Half the people weren't edible, so I'm not going to say whether it was me or not. And we had this really funny moment where there's Vlad, there's Eugene, and I fell asleep for a bit. And then I woke up and Eugene says, in the time that you were asleep, we shipped two more components to boss. And it was awesome because it was like the follow-up of the conversation that we were having just before I fell asleep. We were just like brainstorming and talking shit and giving feedback. I passed out for a few minutes and he's just sitting there with this laptop smashing it. It was pretty funny, actually. From ideas to actualization. And all you had to do was sleep. Like, I think you were a big part of that, to be honest. Yeah. If you weren't there sleeping, oh. someone had to be there sleeping to make this thing happen. Yeah. And I think he felt bad. I don't know if he knows that it's me, the one he's been liquidating all along, but he also taught me, I don't know if I should be saying this publicly, but. He also taught me how to bypass the borrow cash VPN settings. Oh. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, fuck, I forgot that you can use it within the United States. And I am here for another whatever week and I'm close to being liquidated. And he's like, oh. and he showed me how to do it. And anyway. It's got to be hard for someone like you who's like traveling all over the place too. I imagine that like you're almost never, your IP is not really reflecting anything about who you are, your citizenship or anything. That's, I never really thought about that. Amazing. 
I am sure that Google and Mossad and everyone that wants to know, I do try to cover my tracks with VPNs. And if anything, the VPN may give you more consistency because I've got usually an Australian IP. But yeah, Barrowcash blocks both US and VPNs, which was a problem. But yeah. Yeah, I wanted to add on to one thing because I just got back from, I went to probably my final Cosmos conference circuit. So I went to Berlin and Paris and it was a great time. And a, a few of us, I made some, dude, there's some really amazing new people. Don't have that much good things to say about the old people. There's some really wonderful, good devs that have arrived in Cosmos. And we all decided to go out to this like an hour and a half train ride into the middle of just nature in Berlin. And we stayed at this like mansion sort of place for a week before the conference. And it reminds me of what you said, where it's like, and this is a theory that I have in, about life that I want to share with you. It's like life happens when people are bored together. So just having a scenario where it's like you're sitting on couches and yeah, there's stuff being done, but you're also just in the same room. Someone's cooking food. Someone's not eating an edible or whatever. And like that, that's when life happens is like during those moments. And I, I would love to show up to some near event like a week early and do that again. I haven't been to one of the hacker houses. Maybe this is the vibe. I suspect this is how the polycule got started in the Bahamas. <laughs> oh, yeah. Before you know it, everyone's fucking each other. I don't know. That's not really quite my vibe, but. Certainly magic happens when people are bored together. Maybe a little bit early to make the call, but that could well be the title of the podcast. You went there. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I agree. I love those hacker houses. And I was actually reflecting during this trip that the regional hubs are super important. And we just got to find a way to continue like propping those up. It was really weird that the early stages of the bull and near all happened during COVID, which also meant that we had almost like outside, outsized both constraints. Certainly in Australia, I, I tried to organize a city node for the Metabiddle hackathon, would have been the first one or the second one. And a week before the hackathon, we went into lockdown. Yeah, uh... I think it tells you everything you need to know about that. But I'm really curious. We know the recruiter story. By the way, did they reach out through LinkedIn? They did. Yeah. Amazing. It can happen to kids. Yeah. Incredible. Because I'm in the camp of like Web3 LinkedIn haters, but you're the second or third person now that have joined near through recruiters on LinkedIn, including Alex Kiyoki from Pagoda. Oh, cool. So maybe I should take LinkedIn more seriously. I think it's also, to be honest, like I, I didn't know that much about Web3. And like when you have a regular full-time job, I had a full-time job in Web2 doing Android apps and Kotlin and all this kind of cool stuff. But you don't have enough, even, even when you're in Web3 full-time, you're like, I've never heard of this chain that's launching. Like everyone's talking about this friend tech thing that is now like a swear word in my mind. I can't stand hearing about it anymore, but it's just, there's so many millions of things that like, actually is helpful if a recruiter reaches out to you and says, hey, have you heard about this thing? And then they have enough capital to hire a recruiter. I can easily look up the numbers, see what the investments are, like all that kind of stuff. So it's actually, they're not absolutely the worst, even though we, it's not fun deleting all those messages in your inbox for sure. I think people dislike recruiters when they're a little bit out of touch you may be happy at a job and they just reach out to you with not really much context of what you're doing now or what you may do later. But certainly if you are looking at changing jobs, they're your allies and that's what they get paid for, I guess. I'm really curious. Yeah. You've been Web3 peeled. You're looking for opportunities. You're knocking on any doors. You've mentioned that you looked at Nier's numbers. Can they pay me big when you look at a startup? And Nier at the time would have definitely been considered a startup. Were there any other things that you considered? Was there anything about Nier in particular that sort of made it click even at the time? 
Or if anyone reached out to you and they were willing and able to pay, you would have been open to just going to any Web3 ecosystem. I think that was my mentality was like, let me just get my foot in the door somewhere, basically. But at the end of the day, I had written a couple of Solidity contracts from a, a meetup and I was like, oh, I get it now. Like, I actually get it. And the thing about basic attention token that I thought was so cool that still doesn't seem to have ever caught on is that like, you can actually just pay other people who create good content on the internet and you just never have to worry about it. So for me, every single month I pay about a hundred bucks, I believe is my settings. I just give money to people who I, whose stuff I read, right? So like my browser keeps track of what I read. And then at the end of the month, it's like, Hey, you know, this person gets money. I think that's, I think that's super duper cool. And so I wanted to do some kind of smart contracts to see what the constraints were and all that. But back to your question about what was it that near that stood out to me? I thought Rust was a really cool option. I didn't really enjoy Solidity and I actually can't imagine going back to Solidity. I feel like Wasm and Rust is just really great. I, I've been in, in Cosmos for a year and a half and there's this really amazing, talented team called Confio and they built this thing called Cosmwasm, which is a smart contract platform for Cosmos. And then now even there's a person doing Cosmwasm on Avalanche. It's called Landslide. And we've had a lot of discussions about basically taking that Rust framework that they built. And I think you could put it on Nier or you could put it on, maybe people could do an L2, something for, for Ethereum. But I really, that really appealed to me. And then I think that the developer rewards really appealed to me about if people are using your app, then they're getting a little slice of the pie, right? And this may be something I can just expand on because I have a much different perspective now, a much different perspective, because I've been fighting for my life to stay alive with the Croncat for a long time. And I intimately feel the pains of being a founder, making the deck, trying to raise, succeeding, not really raising angels, talking to people, giving workshops, winning hackathons, like really trying to build your reputation and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And... I don't think I really felt that when I was at near necessarily that like what the pain of the builders are feeling. I, I hope I could do something to help the near community at some point where it's just, I understand that these are the resources that I would have needed, or these are the answers that I would have needed too. I think there's a few cases that maybe are more specific to Cosmos, but I think that had I known X, Y, Z, everyone could have done something different. So it's hard. I feel like there's a maybe, and this is painting with a broad brush, but I think that there's actually quite a different mentality when you're a salaried employee versus when you, there's an, there's like massive urgency when you are like a founder. This sounds obvious, right? But it is like a very serious urgency where it's, we've got this little bit of runway and we need to like hit these milestones and we need to like keep begging these people and see if grants work. And then no grants team has it together. I am really appreciative to Osmosis, which is a, the only like real app chain, I think on Cosmos, like kind of a, a DEX. They actually did really help out Croncat. And so that, that was nice with a security audit, but it is, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard being a founder in web three stuff. And perhaps I can, is it okay to kind of keep going on this topic? Yes, of course. Experience. Awesome. You're the guest. Somebody messaged yeah. me once, giving me feedback that I should talk less and let the guest. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So I, I can share something that I've been thinking about lately. And this applies to like all blockchains. So hopefully no one hears this and they're like, aha, he's talking about near because I'm actually definitely not. I think that we all saw this together where it was like the bull market was happening and then it's like, all right, Avalanche is giving out $300 million in grants and the Nears, okay, we're also giving out a lot and then Cello is going to do the same thing. And it just, everyone's together takes the same approach because if you're not giving out grants and other people are, 
then no one's going to come to you, right? So it's like people are independent blockchains, but if you're not doing what everyone else is doing, then you're going to get left behind sort of thing. And so in that sense, like things, there's a follow the leader sort of situation going on. And right now we're in a really bummer follow the leader situation where I think that almost everyone started giving out grants. Now this is like back to historical. Almost everyone started giving out grants. A lot of blockchains didn't have a proper like vesting contract. So what that means is just, oh, you want $200,000, here it is. And then people are like, oh, what if I just like don't deliver? And then that was a few people. Those people are called, I'll call it scammers. Now there's a difference between scammers and builders. The dude who like failed to make a shoe bomb like fucking 30 years ago. Now we all have to take, our, take, take off our shoes because of this one idiot. I really don't like that. I really don't like that. And so I hope that uh, it seems to me that there's been like, we can't do grants because people miss because scammers showed up and we fell for it. It's okay. What about the builders? This is a very good place to jump in because you may or may not remember I studied law back in the day. It's funny that I said that I studied law, not that I am a lawyer, although I technically did get my paper from the Supreme Court of Australia. I didn't know that. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's why I'm how I am. <laughs> There's two types of crimes, actually. There are circumstantial crimes, like you have to prove intent. And then there are, I'm trying to remember, it's like basically clear-cut crimes. Clear-cut is like speeding. We don't give a fuck why you were speeding. If you do it, you are, I guess, like eligible for the punishment. Circumstantial crimes require intent. A couple of simple examples would be mm. something like having sex and getting consent. Rape is a circumstantial crime. It's the same action, but whether you had or you didn't have consent, it's a crime or not a crime. And murder and manslaughter, same. If you're driving and you see someone, you're like, motherfucker, and you run them over to kill them, that's murder. If you get distracted on your phone and you run them over and kill them, that's manslaughter. Mm. Slightly different treatment when it comes to the law. I think that is a nuance that people really miss when you look at grants. What are people's intents? And you know, I had Big Brain on the podcast well over a year ago now. He's, I look at the passion. I see builders, are they passionate about what they're talking about? Do they believe the story? Maybe they don't have the skills, they don't have the team, they don't have the money. Like You can figure out all those things on the way or try your best to, but you need to have the intention to create a real product and yep. even the intention to be on a chain. I know that where a lot of the grants went south was the multi-chain radars and just trying to mm. get as much money from as many foundations as you can. Some of these things we learned with experience, some require that theoretical framework to try to place things in the right category. And uh, yeah, I agree with you. We need funding back. By the way, I remember yeah. you joined a Twitter space. I was in Bogota at the time, so it would have been around October or November last year. The sentiment towards grants on Nier was pretty negative, not because it was not existent, mm. but because we funded a lot of shit. And some of the people in the space were advocating for like much harsher guidelines. Hey, if you want to get money, you need to like, whatever, have trenches and KPIs and whatnot. And I really yeah. like that you took the opposite side of the argument where you basically said, and I'll let you expand on it. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you basically said, look, it's so early on, we need room for experimentation. Like the real products are going to come from the hundred experiments and the tinkering and the different components that we create now. Engineers want to have the freedom to do basically whatever the fuck they want. 
but also yeah. they want to not starve to death. So can you maybe play on that need for legitimate grants, but letting people be unique and free? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. This is good. And this is where I think that there is, I tr I'm trying to be as realistic as possible. Perhaps I've changed a little bit in that regard. And I think that the world that we live in does have artificial scarcity, but also has real scarcity. And it's not really viable to say every single project, even if it's not really going to make a huge impact, should get funding. And so there's going to basically, there's going to be a point where things feel a little bit uncomfortable, but I think maybe we need to choose favorites sometimes. For instance, like Eugene, he built a berry club in his free time while he was building like the protocol and the SDK and working hard on stuff and everyone's pulling him in different directions. And then I'm pretty sure no one asked him to do near social. He just made it. And I remember I was involved in one of his teams at near and I was trying to ask, Hey, can we just literally give Eugene a sabbatical for three weeks? Just build, do whatever you want, dude. I think that it sometimes now this is where it gets to, it's going to feel really unfair. But this is my real suggestion is if you can identify a Eugene or someone who's even a quarter of Eugene, they get preferential treatment. I, I'm sorry, but we need to be experimenting on really difficult things. And I think that is like what we need to really be focusing on in that regard. The other thing that I want to say, though, is like a little bit on the opposite side of this, which is something I've been thinking about a lot. I think I was I was replying yesterday, I think, to either Crow near or your, yeah, a couple of near guys. I'm thinking about this a lot. Join me in this little analogy. So let's say the, all these towns in some state are getting overpopulated. There's not enough houses and stuff. And they're like, hey, there's this big part of our state that could actually have another town. And we could ship water from here. And we're like, let's actually have another town here. We could have mayor going. Let's get all this stuff involved. Let's start building tracks of homes and all this kind of stuff. And at some point, you're like, okay, we, we, yeah, we, we got a couple thousand people who are really like to live in the middle of nowhere where there's not much but that's not going to last forever. Let's build a post office. Obviously, we need a post office. Say what you want about packages and stuff. People need to get mail and they need to send mail at Christmas and stuff. But the problem is, wait a second, stamps only cost like a few cents? How is this post office going to be sustainable? Okay, we have a couple options. We can charge $150 per stamp. That way, the couple thousand people that live in this town, they'll have to pay quite a bit, but then it'll be sustainable, right? That's a pretty bad idea. So if the post office is not going to be sustainable, the second option is just demolish it. They're just not going to have mail in this town. So both those options are pretty bad. So if you're building, and this goes for in every ecosystem, that, that, that's relatively small, is if you don't have a big town yet, don't charge 150 bucks per stamp and don't demolish the post office. And this sort of leads into the, there's a through line here with what I said before, which is there's like a shared narrative between different chains of three... Wonderful letters, PMF, product market fit. Do you have product market fit? Do you have product market fit? I would argue that like the post office doesn't have product market fit, but it's actually quite necessary for a community to desire to be there. And so what would happen in the actual world is like probably the mayor talks to the state council or whatever, and they say, hey, we're doing this new town because you understand the need to grow the population. And we know we've got this going, hey, we're going to get some federal funding or something to keep this post office open so that we can survive long term. So, of course, in this scenario, like the federal government would be a foundation or benefactors or something like that. And so I think that maybe we've gotten 
so rigid with the PMF idea that it's coming straight from an MBA textbook, but this does not apply in bleeding edge technology when there's only like a few thousand true active users. I'm not saying this as a rant. I I hope that this analogy like rings true because we need to be realistic and like you you don't want to just give away money, but no one can survive if you're supposed to be like, if the goal is you will get your enough revenue to be sustainable by extracting value from all the users who are in our network, but there aren't that many users, then everyone is bound to fail. Yeah. So we need to have some kind of middle ground and that's always going to feel weird. It's always going to feel wishy-washy. People are going to feel left out and all this kind of stuff, but we need to like kind of address this issue like head on. This is why I'm so excited to have you because you bring perspective on two different fronts. The first one, the historical near side, I now refer to as the Eric era, NF till the yeah. end of 2021, and the Marie era or the review and reformation era beginning of 2022. You can probably timestamp a few other additions to NF, Ilya going back to Pagoda. There's been several changes. But the other perspective that I see that you bring is you've been deeply immersed in the Cosmos ecosystem for a year and a half. So you get to see how you probably have a much better ability to distill first principles. It's no longer Hmm. ecosystem based. It's no longer first and last name based. It is what things hold true regardless of the ecosystem. Like we could nuke every single blockchain and start tomorrow these things will still be true. Do you see a difference between a product market fit type of product and a commodity? We've got things such as common carriers. So if you're a telephone company or an electricity company, then these things are commodities. Technically, they're all the same. But I think that is the type of definition that most people use for commodities. Like they're interchangeable. So coal is coal. It doesn't really matter which coal you use. When I'm trying to think of commodity, not so much on the interchangeable side of things, but more so from the necessity side of things. We all need a toilet. We all need water. Yeah. I'm wondering if we could try to think of some parallels of what would be those commodities. Like for instance, I was outspoken when we defunded both AstroDAO, the DAO holding most of the funds of the ecosystem, including Refora, et cetera, and the Mania wallet at the same time. And I was hmm. like, maybe you shouldn't do fund your main infrastructure overnight. But yeah, the way to wrap all that up is to hand over the mic back to you would be in that evolution, trying to balance out the, let's call them Web3 natives and the anarchists that may have a much better idea to identify the product needs and well, yeah. what, let's call them Web3 foundation or corporate types that may have an ability to create structures and checks and balances. And I think that we're coming to the state of the evolution where the two eventually merge because we tried the Wild West, everyone gets money for building crazy shit and sometimes it works and sometimes scammers, scammers became the culture. And now we've tried the trying to be corporate and treating this as a startup, except that we're not a startup. The startup is the ecosystem and there's just some things that do not match one-to-one. Yeah, man. I would, I would love to talk about a lot of this stuff because I mean, I really, this is the problem with me. I, I care way too much. Like I care way too much about like just people and everyone succeeding and I want everything to be good. And I'm like, yeah, we created this like technology that allows peer to peer value transfers never happened in human civilization. I want to be a part of it. And then we're not really, yeah, it's not exactly how the story goes because really like our civilization, our society is like still steeped in like 
the only thing that has value is if you can make someone else money. Like the point of life is to sell stuff to other people. That's basically how the world works right now. And so hopefully in a thousand years, that's, that is not the case, but that is where we're at right now. I'm just wondering, because we've got listeners in over 50 countries. Kudos to the one person listening in many different countries, as in the one person per country. Is that a hyper-American view of the world? And maybe even specifically like an American view of the world within Portland? Because sometimes when I go to the US, I do get that vibe that there's like too much consumerism. Like they really are trying to sell you shit nobody wants and nobody needs. And people basically yeah. just leave for that. When I go to I, other parts of the world, I see the free market as a, maybe efficient is not the best word, but it is certainly a way in which people find ways to exchange goods. You need something, I need something, money is a common denominator. Okay, I'll share this slice of life. So when I was in college, I went back to school 28 or something and finally got my computer science degree. And we did pretty well in this software competition. And so Microsoft flew us out to St. Petersburg, Russia to present with all these other people around the world. And I remember showing up in St. Petersburg, Russia, and you get off the plane. And I don't know what I imagined of Russia or something, but I was like, oh, it's going to be something totally different or whatever. Seriously, I get, I get off the plane, I'm in the airport, and there's a huge billboard. Billboard? First of all, I didn't know there was going to be billboards. A billboard for Taco Bell. I was like, what? I didn't know. I thought this was like, I thought all the billboards, all the advertising, this whole thing is just like an American thing or whatever. When I mentioned that before, I've been reading this book called Time Off. It goes into basically the history of people working. And there's all these quotes from Mozart and Einstein. What's his name? Bertrand Russell, all these like great thinkers who are talking about how leisure is a very important part of life and how basically they prove basically through like historical snippets that life isn't, wasn't really about, oh, what do you do for a job? That wasn't how it used to be for like the majority of human civilization. And so I guess that's why I say that the whole world is all about kind of money and product market fit. For instance, like we see that our, like our kids are not getting good education, but we don't care enough to give them more money. Shouldn't like teachers get six figures? Anyway, I, maybe I'm going way off of a, on a tangent here. But even that is yeah. an American thing. I don't know. Maybe I left Venezuela when I was too young. And, but I swear that I've never seen anyone ask each other in Venezuela, what do you do for a living? Yeah. Love it. And Australia, maybe it's like a mixed bag. It's funny because it's negative, but from the other end of the spectrum. Australia has a tall poppy syndrome. If you rise too far above the rest, people actually dislike you. Yeah, I've heard about it's that. It's not yeah. a show-offy culture. People actually try to downplay themselves. There's always exceptions, but there's definitely something about American culture that is very work-obsessed. It defines who you are as a person. Maybe because you work so much, you no longer have time for other activities. The most heartbreaking things that I've heard is when founders sell the companies 10, 15, 20 years, and they realize every single one of the friends was from work. They no yeah, longer yeah. have anything to do. They no longer have any people. This is actually reminding me of what I was going to, or how I was going to respond to the, okay, so this is a big question about basically, there, there's a whole thing. I, I guess I'll just like give a brain dump if that's okay. I think it's time for like brutal honesty. And I, I think that right now we're in this weird situation where there's a whole bunch of blockchains and there's some that have been around for a while and people kind of laugh at it like, haha, Ripple or whatever. But we haven't really seen an extinction event, a true extinction event happen with blockchains. In the next 10 years, we're probably going to actually see extinction events. Like a whole bunch of these L1s that tried are going to be gone. They used to have hundreds of millions of dollars. Now they have nothing. And people who like had their tokens also have to deal with that and stuff. So maybe we don't really have a sense of urgency 
in that sense. We, and we believe that, okay, DeFi, right? I believe DeFi is a brand new thing, okay? That Web3 enabled. NFTs, I don't really think that was brand new. I'm 41 years old. I remember doing POGs in middle school. I collected baseball cards. Like collectibles are like have been around forever. People collect stamps or whatever. This is just now we had a peer-to-peer -peer way of doing it and people could just make little marketplaces and be a middleman and it was even cheaper and everything's online anyway. So NFTs are like very cool, but I feel like it's not fundamentally brand new. DeFi is brand new. And I was at Nier when DeFi Summer happened. I, I, I want to give a shout out to Nier actually. They gave everyone one Ethereum. And they said, go try to make more money. Let's learn. Let's explore and, and expand. Eric that, Gira, I miss yeah. it. They I, haven't I, put I, money I think, around like that since. I think ETH was like 300 bucks though. And there's only like a couple dozen of us. Yeah. And then of course, like I immediately put it into something and then didn't have enough to withdraw it. <laughs> Because the, the ETH fees to withdraw are going to be more. So everyone learns that lesson at least once. So the reason why I mentioned this, like we haven't had an extinction event is that I feel like a lot of people are still in this, like we imagine that there are like all these use cases that like, ah, oh, if we can just discover them. That hasn't happened, AVB. We haven't come up with that, that much new stuff. Some new stuff, yes. But we have not seen another summer like DeFi summer. I agree with you. So here's my question, or here's my, actually, I'll just skip to my conclusion. I believe that, Web3 is still so primitive that there are very limited things that you can even build. And I'll harken back to my days of early internet when I had like a 33.6 baud modem, extremely slow internet. And there was not that much to do, but there were these things called bulletin board services. I don't know if you've heard of that. It was, we would call them BBSs. And you would just basically use your parents' phone line and then you dial into this thing. And it was a computer that other people could dial into. And so I used to play this game called Exitalis. It was kind of like, it had the same sort of vibe as like Mafia Wars, where you can do a certain amount of things per day and you can actually interact with real people, but it's all like ASCII art and text-based. It was just, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, but, so that was a fun game and there were other things you could do. Like people were like sharing PDFs of, I don't know, like scientific journals or something like that. But did, when was the last time you logged into BS, dude? It's been a while. Because it's too limited. It's too primitive. Like all you can do is type on your computer and you can see ASCII art and there's a little program that's controlling the game. So I feel like right now, people are expecting pro projects to build a sustainable business on a BS. It is just too primitive to, to do that much. So I think at some point we have to be like, okay, we need to set a deadline. By 2025, if we haven't had another thing similar to DeFi Summer, we need to actually change like dramatic things in our protocol to give us like a differentiating factor so that you now have more things you can do. It's almost, imagine if you're trying to build an Uber Eats app back in 1960, and we hadn't perfected triangulation of satellites and stuff. You didn't have GPS, right? You'd be like, dang it. Like, how are we going to know where the car is when they're driving home? And like, then you add in the element of GPS and it's oh, okay. Now we can do it. You know, now we have an extra new thing that will allow a new use case. And so this is why this is funny. I'm, I, I promise I'm not trying to shill Croncat because I'm like sick of Croncat by now. But it's, that's what we, it's exactly what we try to do with Croncat. We're like, okay, there's a lot of niceties with web two. Like for instance, you set up your Patreon and then it's paying this person and you know that your check is coming in automatically. And then you told your bank that you're going to be paying your mortgage. And so all this stuff just happens automatically. And this is like what everyone's used to. We don't have any of that three, none of that. And so we were like, oh, what if you could actually schedule stuff to happen in the future? And so you could have payroll and you just set it and forget it, just walk away. Or, and then I could have a Patreon that's USDC 
on near going to AVB and people can just do it, set it. Like we need to catch up, but we can't catch up if we're too primitive to even compete. So I, I think this is where like we need to start thinking about like real differentiating factors. And I'm not saying that near doesn't have that. I would say honestly, near near is way ahead versus other blockchains where it's like I already have developer rewards. But as I said, we're in a small town of 2,000 people or something. That, that yeah, it's hard. You know, like you can't actually make a business out of it. But it was a good. It was a very good instinct when they first launched the blockchain. You have no idea what's going to happen. So that's good. Obviously, function call access keys. You've seen what KeyPalm can do. In my opinion, like if I were president of the world, I would give three million dollars to myself to run a team and make Ticketmaster go away. Make it open source ticketing for the world. Give something created in Web three to non Web three people. No one's ever done that. We're all just like in our own little enclave. Well, go ahead. Is that the price tag? Because everyone that I asked what to ask Mike Purvis, everyone said, what would it take to get Mike back? Oh, that's funny. I, I, I can I get appreciate you three that. million. I can get you three million, but. Not three million for me too. Like for a team, I, like we could do, of course. totally do it. We oh, we're totally not greedy. It's yeah. two of us and how many more? Yeah. I, I, want, I want to unpack this one because you're onto the money and I want to dig your brain while I have you here because I'm always more on that product side and I tend to fall short on the engineering side and I've been honestly just amazed at how some of the pieces are falling into place. First, in a very self-serving way, I do have to admit the only thing that Web3 has created are media brands and personalities. We have Web3 influencers circle jerking each other on Twitter, pretending like everything is hunky-dory, using their magic money on whatever novel protocol comes up, which is not novel, and pretending that PFPs are novel. That's not what it is. I like to look at it from the positive side. The reality is this podcast, amongst other little players on Nier, we're faking it until we make it. We're creating that sense of community that we had at the Ithera House and that you had in your Berlin Ayahuasca retreat. We're creating that for the masses when in reality, it may be less people than you think listening, but we need to keep showing up. Yeah. And actually, I mean, I, oh. how do you say this? I don't think it's going to work going after huge corporate people because as I just pointed out, there's a bunch of niceties with Web2 that we can't even catch up with our primitives. I don't, unless there's an R&D department of a big corporation that wants to like just try it out just because everyone else is. I, I could be wrong, but I feel like going after corporation stuff in the potentially worst bear market of crypto is just not going to work. Maybe later. But until then, like, I do think that, yes, we need to look, be looking after product market fit and stuff. But also, like, to be honest, like, probably there should be a budget to support people who are actually making the community enjoyable and people want to get together and stuff. Like, we're, we are finding our, we're trying to find our tribes. And some people have actually found their tribes. Like, what we're doing is deeply human and deeply beautiful. And so... If it's only product market fit kind of talk, I think that people are like already sick of checking into a nine to five and all this kind of stuff. And that's just not really going to sound that great to them. It sounds weird to say, but yeah, we, we got to have the product market fit side and we got to just also keep the community. Like you really don't want to burn the community. Like that is, that is like very difficult afterwards. The challenge that we have in Web3 is the constant tension between equality, flat organizations and actually acknowledging and embracing people's individuality. What you're saying is true, makes sense. ChatGPT could say it to someone at the foundation. It's just hard to actually find the people that can live by those values and execute by those standards. 
Matlock here creates culture. If we mm. didn't have Matlock here or near, we'd be pretty fucked. I'd say you embody a set of values of community. You have experience. The Ray Layer One guys, this may be very culturally insensitive, but at least from our lived experiences, it is a deeply Western uh, vibe. Mm. And whether it is something that we want to embrace and explore or give us leeway to do what we know works here and give leeway for other people to figure out what works in the countries, we need to have that ability to explore and embrace because yeah. one size fits all doesn't work, and especially one size fits all corporate. Slightly moving on from the community side onto the extinction side. Mm. So that 10-year timeline, I think it's going to be a lot sooner because you're mentioning extinction like dinosaur level extinction, like the blockchain itself dies. But I do think that we've had mass extinction events of the little fish, the little people. Mm. The biggest challenge that I see right now when I talk to people is they got burned. Last bull market, they bought at the top, they bought NFTs, they didn't know what they were doing. We have a very big reputation issue now to undo. So I think that in some ways, and I was talking to this with the Play Ember guys in the last podcast, the foundation may be directionally right if you time bound it. So for instance, they said, hey, if we don't have X amount of users and transactions in one year time, the reality is that we're dead. We're going to have cash in the bank, but no one's going to give a fuck about near. They went for the low hanging fruit. Loyalty points and rewards programs, they've got like 18 of those. And someone must have done the math. Once those 18 are in chain, we can have 10 million transactions per day. That gets us over the hump. With 10 million transactions per day and a few logos, we can now go to the basement hackers. Like there is a flywheel hmm. formula. We can have hmm. different hypotheses. I would have started with the hackers and then get validation for the corporates. Look, if they figured it out with a BD team, kudos to them. We'll see if it works out. I would like to now get to the real meat, the red meat. Okay. You talk about the ecosystem being primitive. And I think sometimes people use the same word for like first, not first principles or, or what are the word three primitives that we need to create good products? If we could reverse engineer, what is a good product in Web2? Hmm. And what would we need to have the similar Web2 product in Web3? You've already given the case of Croncat and automating yeah. many actions that occur yeah. automatically in Web2 that do not occur in Web3. Maybe before we jump on the, onto other products or use cases, with Croncat specifically, what is the blocker that the user has to sign the transaction? What is the pain point that it's solving? Or, or maybe yes. I can just make sure I'm totally understanding. Yeah. What is the pain point? When we first talked about Croncat, I haven't told this story either, I don't think. So maybe six months into my tenure at Near, I don't know, I, I was like on fire. I, first of all, I was surrounded by like Eugene and Skidinoff and Ilya and stuff. And I, imposter syndrome doesn't even begin to talk about. I'm just like a regular dude. And I'm like looking around and I was just like award-winning people from other countries who have traveled around the world, like whatever, breaking riddles and just okay. And so I like devoured the Mastering Ethereum book and I was just like, oh my God, I got to prove myself. And I think that I just would stay up all night, many nights, just like trying to figure out how to get smart contracts working when there was like no documentation or anything. I finally figured out that stuff. And during that process, I ported a Chainlink Oracle smart contract into a Near smart contract into Rust. And that was really how I like solidified. Holy moly, this architecture of you save a, a, a price request on chain in an Oracle smart contract and then off chain, 
you have these people looking to see what tasks need to get done, what prices need to get fulfilled. They get the price from the API, then they send that back in, okay? And then that goes back to the original smart contract that requested like the price of whatever. That is exactly how we did Croncat. It's like an Oracle architecture, except for you don't actually need to give in a price fee because all you need to do is send in a tra transaction at the proper time. And then the smart contract figures out if it's allowed to do it and then it releases it. So that, that was actually a big part of like why I think like that superpower can exist. And can you remind me what we were just talking about one, one second before this? What, what, like, where were we going with this? Sorry. My mind has been blown. I, I love nice. origin stories. I feel like one day I'll be writing Then Utopians, a book about the origins of Nier. Ideally, I'll just keep doing the podcast and a GPT agent will write it for me. But <laughs> we were going towards trying to identify what are the key primitives that are needed in Web3 mm. to be able to create real products for mass adoption. Because, and by the way, this is something that I'm experiencing here in Bali. I'd say this ecosystem is mm. younger or not as advanced. Mm. I am listening to the same old platitudes and generalities that I was listening in 2016. Yeah. How do we move past basic information, which is fine if you're new to the ecosystem, but how do we actually say, okay, we're going to brainstorm a product right now. Let's make it fun. Let's make it cool. And then literally reverse engineer all the components that need to be there for it to be implemented as it should be to have mass adoption. When I was in Paris, actually, just recently, the last Cosmos circuit of my life, probably, I was talking to people from Agoric. Agoric is a layer one blockchain that does JavaScript. You know about this? I, in the most bizarre of things, I saw you tweet about them and actually yeah. added oh, yeah. to my little research paper. And the day after, I went to meet with some academics at the RMIT blockchain center. They've got a research center in Melbourne. And their advisors to Agoric. And they were talking about oh, it. Oh, cool. And yeah, I guess they're closer to home, but I haven't been able to deep too far into it. I, was, I actually wanted to ask you about it, what you think about them. Yeah, it, it was a funny thing where like, I, I'm very interested in Agoric and I, I met Dean in the hackathon in Korea for Cosmos and he's a great guy. And then I took a picture of this one slide that he had in Paris and it was just like basically the idea of long running smart contracts. And I, I was suddenly, wait a second, this is what we're going for with Croncat, where you can just have orchestration. So it's, okay, now please do this swap on a different blockchain, because as Cosmos, as the whole point of Cosmos is people can have independent blockchains and then you just talk back and forth to them. And IBC is getting added to near, as far as I understand, the NEP got approved at least. So that will actually be the case too, that you can send messages between blockchains like that. And so long running smart contracts means here's some code, but okay. The real simple way to say this is like right now, the way that the Web3 works is you're glued to your wallet. Every single time you want to do anything, you got to click sign. And then that sends in a little thing into the blockchain. The blockchain like spins up a smart contract, closes it back down, goes away. Right. So this idea of having a long running smart contract is like wild. And I think Dean Tribble re replied to my tweet and then, and then Ilya actually replied and uh, I didn't fully understand what Ilya said just because I haven't really dug into the near JavaScript framework yet. I want to big time. I'm like, I think it's just incredible. But Ilya was basically saying, yeah, like this kind of thing actually can be done, blah, blah, blah. And then usually what happens with Ilya is he said, I, I can understand the first six words. And I'm like, oh, I almost understand the rest of it. I almost understand it. But anyway, like I, I definitely strongly get the sense that this actually is possible in near. And so I think long running smart contracts are like a good bet because also, okay, we, we have established the DeFi is basically the only brand new thing that we have. And we're like waiting around to figure out what to do next. So 
in the meantime, let's be orchestrating the hell out of this. And this is not just because it's fun and interesting or whatever, but I honestly think that like, I would be in a better financial position if I had an automatic dollar cost average situation going. Because I, because then like right now, what am I doing? Have a Google Calendar event being like, go to Ref Finance and turn some stuff into stables. And then I see the calendar event. And I'm like, no, but I shouldn't do it because everything's going so well. And then I don't do it. I was, you need to automate this stuff, dude. You need to, or we need like orchestration. So long running smart contracts would maybe be my sites would be on that next. If you were to find a parallel for models for a long running smart contract, would it be something like Zapier or maybe Agent GPT? So you basically string together a bunch of actions and it executes in a loop with the right triggers? Exactly. I mean, yeah, I could have explained that better. So yeah, it's exactly that where it's, hey, if my rewards, if my staking rewards get above this amount, then see if this one asset that I'm really interested, Marmajay token is at a certain price, then go ahead and buy some. And then with the rest of it, do whatever. And, and this is just like financial orchestration. And of course, this could also play into payroll, right? I think payroll is a massive thing. We all, Sputnik DAO is great, by the way. At one point, I knew every single line of Rust in Sputnik DAO. Like I read that thing so many times, dude. It is a very good piece of software. And you could absolutely automate payroll and stuff. Like that doesn't sound like it's that big of a deal. But if you've ever tried doing payroll on a multi-sig or a DAO and you have to organize human beings to vote weekly or monthly, have you ever tried this? You want me to tell you a fun fact? We're still trying to organize the payout for the Ref Finance Community Board, Q4 oh. 2022. Oh no. It's been some <laughs> challenges there, coordination being one of them. And, and this, is, this is what we got to start thinking about is like, what do we, what's already super easy in Web 2? that we don't have in Web3. And, and that's a good one, right? Like, just have payroll. Have I want to be able to have either a simple or a complex DeFi strategy. It could be as simple as just DCA. And I, I don't know if you know this, but like I, I learned in only in recent like years of like DC, dollar cost averaging. Oh my God, it must be a financial term. All it means is take a little bit of your money and turn it into stable coins. Oh, that's what that term means? Okay. Anyway, like in case we, we listeners didn't know that. Dollar cost averaging, I first heard about it on the way in. So Australians have got a real job and they're like, oh, is it a good time to buy Bitcoin? Doesn't matter. You buy a hundred bucks every week. Some people have been yep. doing this since 2015. Entry point doesn't matter. Price goes up, price goes down. You take more of a directional bet. I guess you could probably do the same on the way out. If you get paid hundred percent in crypto, you maybe don't want to sell, but you're like, look, I'm going to be responsible for my children. I always yep. want to have at least X amount of dollars by the end of the month. Dollar cost average at whatever time frame. Really quick additional example to help people understand and to help me understand. Say a simple strategy. I've got $1,000 monitored two or three lending markets and automatically move it around to the one that offers the highest deposit APY. Is that something that could be automated? Definitely. Yeah. We're on to business yeah. here. Let me tell you the let me tell you the sad truth. You can come up with a really cool idea and probably 80% of the time is going to be trying to convince people to get back to you about if they're going to help you. Good ideas don't really mean that much right now. So there's a whole other fight you got to do, you which, know, which is why I grants, think investors talent. I would say like grants and investors. And yeah, I guess that'd be so the reason why I'm hesitating is like Cosmos is very different. And this is why we chose Cosmos. We rewrote uh, Croncat to be like ridiculously powerful. I don't know if you know this, but like you can have if this, then that on for anything. It is completely generic. You can say, I want this thing to happen in the future, but only if these conditions are met. And furthermore, 
this one condition where you're checking the balance of this one reward that I have, go ahead and take that number and shove it back into the actual action that will eventually be released to do an LP swap or whatever. Extremely useful. We wrote it in Cosm Wasm. There's about probably a dozen blockchains that you in Cosmos that use Cosm Wasm. So what that means is we were like, hey, this makes total sense. We write it once. I bootstrapped with a ton of ton, too much. It's like we write it once and we can put it on a dozen blockchains. This is it. But we did not get support. Osmosis gave us a little bit, but I think it's, I'm not, don't think I'm divulging anything weird, but like I, we didn't get money from those blockchains. You know, it's like grants and blockchains and investors are the people that like you really need to convince that maybe they should put a little bit of skin in the game for you throwing thousands of hours into something. I have a sneaky idea that I'm going to unleash on you so that you can build it and I can help you market it. <laughs> but before I do, I'm going to take a really quick toilet break. If yeah, you want to stretch your legs, I'll be back in two minutes. Is that okay? Cool. Yeah. Great. So, Croncast. It's ironic because I've heard recently that everyone's doing infrastructure because only infrastructure is getting funded. But the challenge that I see with Croncast is the quintessential question of what is the product? Because if the product yeah. is infrastructure, then the product is not the product. So to put it differently, the product needs a product on top to make it worth it. Like the infrastructure is only ever as valuable as the products built on top or, or the things that it services. For instance, near I mean, cool infrastructure, if you don't have products on top, worthless. Croncats, amazing infrastructure, but it needs to be connected to more downstream players to show its yeah. real value. I think I take a little bit of issue just because if we have a mandate that everything that gets built must make money, then we're going to go so slow that this is probably not even worth, like basically, since there has been nothing since DeFi and everything has to make money, then it's quite possible that in six years, literally nothing new has been made in Web3 and then a bunch of blockchains just go bye-bye. So I think at some point you have to be like, no, this is going to make our blockchain better. And that is the value. It's not product market fit. If PMF has to be on everything, that's just a grave mistake. It's just, I guess this is my opinion, just like intuitively, it's, that, doesn't make, that doesn't make any sense to me. I'm setting the stage for the product that I'm about to pitch you. Oh yeah, I agree with go. you. I agree with you because you can, we should segment the different layers of value. Croncats is valuable as an enabler of other shit. Presumably yeah. the other shit further down the line needs to find a way to make money or needs to create some sort of value. Value doesn't have to be financial. This podcast doesn't make any money. That is we're trying, but people find it valuable for other reasons. Okay, so I've got an idea. It's funny that I've been simmering it in my head for weeks hmm. now. Oh, yeah. And I just realized Croncats might actually be the perfect implementation. It, 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 there, there's 12 validators on Near mainnet right now using Croncat on Near. I don't know if you know that. Like it's pretty live. sure Metapool uses it. Yeah. Anyway, okay. I, I wanted to interject that because I don't want people to think this. Oh yeah, they tried it on Near and it didn't work or whatever. It's freaking running, dude. Actually, before I run you with my mind-blowing idea, how different is a new super powerful implementation of Croncats on Cosmos than Croncats on Near? And more powerful. But it's also written in Rust, so we know we could port it. Okay, so yeah. I'm going to tell you an idea. If you like it, I'll meet you in Nearcon Portugal. We're winning this hackathon. I can take this bit of the podcast out. I'll, li I'll let the cliffhanger. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. <laughs> okay, so there's an amazing drinking game. It may have started as a card game. It's called 21. 
the rules are relatively simple. You sit in a circle, you go clockwise, and when it's your turn, you can say one, two, or three numbers, like in order. So if I start, I can say one, one, two, or one, two, three. The mm. person that comes after you also, yeah, also says like numbers in sequence, but they can't say the same amount of numbers than I did. So if I say one, two, three, ah. you can say four, five, or four. Ah. So you can see how it gets drunk, people. Like, people don't last very much. It's fantastic for getting obliterated. You lose your drink, pretty straightforward. But the fun thing is, when you get to 21, so the person that says 21 gets to make a rule. Oh. Now, number five, you have to say it standing up or you have to clap three times. Or So there's this kind of like race to see who gets to 21 and obviously strategic because you can say more or less numbers to change who gets to 21. So you get on the next was, cycle around. Yeah, love it. And I was thinking something of a Web3 21, whereby you can say one, two, or three numbers. But when you get to 21 and you make the rule is an action on chain. To Ooh. me, the only criteria for setting the action would be you have to do it first. So the action could be if you say 10, you have to add 100 bucks LP to this pool on breath. You need to buy an NFT. You need to burn some tokens. Like you set the action and you can see how the game theory kicks in because if you're smart, you would set up something that, that's going to trip people up down the line. Yes. You do it first you, and you, then good fucking yeah. luck to the rest. You, you have to cut that part out because that that one you want to like have in your sleeve. Yeah, that 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 is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do you think so far? Yeah, I think it's awesome. I think that we should be engaging people and have fun things going on. Also, this reminds me, I want to give like a huge shout out to like Shitsu and especially AGT. Like he's actually been reaching out to me recently, being a bro and just seeing how I'm doing because things are rough right now. And that and like Shitsu has actually taken that whole engagement of getting people together and doing stuff with the crossword puzzle and really done an amazing job with it. I don't know if you've seen how many times it's been used. It's been used a lot. And actually, maybe I can circle back to a previous thing we said where we were like, how can we take something in Web 2, deconstruct it, and see what was cool, and how could you do that in Web 3? And I think maybe I've tweeted about this like a long time ago, but it probably got lost, so I'll just repeat it here. The crossword puzzle isn't just a crossword puzzle for fun. It's, it is Coinbase Earn, but completely decentralized. So Coinbase Earn, I think they still have it, where it's like you learn about the Harmony protocol, and then they show you a video, and you answer a question, and oh, cool, now you got 20 bucks worth of Harmony or whatever. The crossword puzzle is that, where like you can make your own puzzle and you can say, we're going to give 20 near to whoever wins this crossword puzzle. The answers are all about near or my project or like something going on in the ecosystem. Or we go to Portugal, the crossword puzzle is about all these interesting sites that you can see in, in Portugal or something. And so that is an example where near's function call access keys are the only thing that made the crossword puzzle possible. Now, as I speak, I know how to do the crossword puzzle on Cosmos. Like I know exactly how to do it now. I finally figured it out. I won third place in this little hackathon last month, like figuring out like AuthZ, which is this thing in Cosmos, blah, blah, blah. It was a thing on the shelf for a long time. We resuscitated it and now I'm probably leaving Cosmos and no one's going to use it again. But like Cosmos, you could technically do the crossword puzzle. Near, it's all, it's all ready, dude. It's all ready. And so like, we, we need to keep a good mind on, yes, we need more infrastructure and adding stuff like long running contracts. And I still think automation or orchestration, however you want to do that, maybe, maybe that's not Croncab, maybe it's built on the protocol or something, but also what kinds of things can function call access keys do, especially I think Keypalm has done an amazing job. I'm very confused actually why it's not like a huge focus 
I'm, maybe there's internal stuff happening. I don't know. But it seems like that might be one of the projects that really leverages superpowers. And if you got that out to the world, people would be like, wait a second, how can we do this? It's not possible on Ethereum unless you do something centralized. Yeah, yeah, I think we got to dig in on that kind of stuff. Two things. First one, how would you define function access keys to people yeah. that may not be familiar with? And the second one, side comment. I have started talking to the key pump team again. They've got a new confidential chief revenue officer for now. They're lighting oh, cool. up some clients and some contracts before a fundraise. It may be a good time to join the team if you're interested. Mm. Definitely talk to Lockyer and, and Benji because I think that if you see the opportunity and if you understand the tech, it's, it's going to get spicy. Awesome. I, I love it. I, I think functional access keys are great. And it's funny, I was just mentioning this to Cameron earlier today. I got a DM from a Nate Geyer from Mintbase like maybe a year ago or something. This was like, they had launched Mintbase like for a while. And then Nate was like, I finally understand function call access keys from one of those videos that you made. And I was like, awesome. So hopefully I can like help explain it. But it goes to show that even someone who's like really embedded had a hard time understanding it. And so I, I own Mike.near, right? And you can attach keys to it or you can remove keys to it. And there's two kinds of keys. One that's I can do everything. I am Thanos. Like I can delete Mike.near. I can remove, send all, all of the near associated with Mike.near to Coinbase or whatever. And there's the limited ones, which is I am allowing Mike.near to talk to the crossword.near, or it's actually crossword.puzzle.near that I own. And so that, that means that this key will be able to like act like Mike. It is me, basically, but it's not allowed to spend my funds. That's not, no, you're not allowed to spend my funds. So that's the limited function call access keys. This is actually like really interesting to have these two kind of in, in tandem. I always come up with the strangest analogies and ways of explaining things. The anthropomorphization of it, give, yeah. tr treating the wallet as a human, I love it. Because now function access keys in my mind, I see them as the ability to clone yourself, but your yeah. clone is only authorized to do specific things. So I'm like, hey, I'm going to clone myself, but AVB 2.0 is going to be walking around valley fucking people unless you authorize it to it's yeah. only authorized to go withdraw money from the atm and it can be very specific you can only withdraw yeah. x amount and come back nothing else function access keys work the same way with specific contracts and specific methods within each contract is that correct there's one little wrinkle there that's a little wrong i'm pretty sure it's not changed yet which is like function call access keys can't send you can't say hey this one's allowed to spend 10 years on my behalf. But that would be really useful, in my opinion. That'd be very useful. I finally remember what I was, was going to say after gushing about how much I love Benji, which is like the thing that I told him that he like really resonated with and that I've been talking to a lot of Cosmos people too, who are having the same epiphany. Because by the way, I should tell you, people are figuring out function call access keys in Cosmos. Like that's happening right now. Like we basically last month, like over the campfire, figured it out. So people are doing the same sort of like in-brow, like what's that? Function call access keys on Cosmos or they're figuring out yeah. function call access keys on Near. They're figuring out how to do the exact same idea on Cosmos, except for okay. it's, it's a little bit more powerful. Yeah. But like the real change maybe is the mentality that I was talking to Benji about is I, for some reason, I like to imagine that there's a dome. It's almost like you're in an IMAX theater. There's like a dome above us. And like what you're looking at are a bunch of teeny little pins of light that are coming out of there. And this sort of represents a digital universe. There's like millions of little teeny little, like little lights and you can pick out one of those lights if you want this one is mine right 
that's like a private key. And we need to realize that there's, we like with math, we have created a virtual infinity. And so what that means is like private keys, you can just pick out this little pin, pick out this one, throw it away. I don't need it anymore. No one is ever going to find that same exact private key for the rest of the human civilization just because of how math works. But right now we're caught in a situation where it's like, aha, private key. That means mnemonic. That means you need to go to, to write it down and put it in the safe deposit box or put it under a rock or something like that. In reality, I think we need to switch the mentality to like, there are unlimited private keys in this universe. Let's just grab it, use it, and kind of like a, a movie ticket stub. After the movie, you're like, hey, that was pretty cool. I'm going to keep this stub. And maybe you graduate that into a real near account. Or you're like, yeah, it was a good movie, but I don't really want to keep this. And you just throw it in the trash, right? We can do this with function call access keys and near, but it, maybe we need to tell a lot of the developers at hackathons and stuff. This is the mentality to think. Private keys are not special. Add it to your account, throw it away. Like they are disposable. But that's why heavily biased, non-technical. Although I started learning how to code. I'm using free oh, yeah? code camp and chat GPT. Because hey. my issue other than time, was you get stuck on silly things, you're missing a coma, whatever. Very frustrating. I'm not known for having the best of tempers. Uh, I'm trying to be more stoic. But also, Me too. there you go. It's a trait of smart people, I've heard. And handsome. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, your bleached hair looks amazing. Is that your natural color? This is from the stress. Okay. Just kidding. No, I've got I, a few I, gray I, hairs I, 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 as well. I decided to do this. I got back from my Europe trip and I was like, new mic is here. And, and also, I was going to get cast in the Barbie movie. They went with the other guy or whatever, but uh, I was ready. Bastard. Who would have been better? But what was I saying? Yes. Having ChatGPT is just inside. You just ask it. And it's like a very patient mentor. Amazing. Products. They always maybe have a facility to come up with ideas and try to see how it plays out. I did do a course on product management and uh, I found out they called this a user journey. And uh, these are the sort of like tools and frameworks that I think that if more builders had, they would probably be able to create better products because it's always like blind spots and you just go through the motions and it just gets better. So I'll throw another idea at you. I don't know if the 21 one caught uh, or we just got distracted, but I have this idea of a petitions platform. Think of something like change.org. But you tweak a few things, you know, what problem you're trying to solve. Change.org, nah, there may be humans, there may be not. Like, petition to do something in the US, you've got people signing in Peru. And then mm. it's very limited. If you give money to a course, there is very little accountability or transparency. And mm. they may spam you with emails afterwards updating you. But so my vision was, let's have a change.org. I'm going to create a petition to open direct flights between Sydney and Mexico City or Panama hmm. or Bogota. Like we don't want to go through the US. Two years to get a tourist visa and it's either LA or Chile. It makes no sense. Okay, I create my petition. People can sign it and they can pledge money. But the hmm. money goes into a DAO. So there's full transparency. And then oh. you can participate in governance to help get the motion in action. Maybe we can put a little money you lobby Copa in Panama. I lobby Qantas in Australia. If you can do it as a flow, it's actually relatively simple. Either the yeah. proposal goes ahead and the money gets used. Say you put whatever, $2,000 for the cost of a ticket. Or it doesn't go ahead and everyone gets their money back. You could even do some, uh, whatever you said, the long living contract. And while the money is in the DAO, 40% gets deployed to a lending protocol and it earns a little bit of interest. Like these are the things that I'm like, 
it's so simple because yeah. it is a real world case study. It's more yeah. of a question of can you go out there and find 100,000 people that within a 12 month period would fly direct between these two cities. And you can do it with concerts. I was thinking when I was in Colombia, mm. dude, if you do this campaign to have a Shankira unplugged, she had an MTV unplugged in the 90s. You do a campaign, mm. people would pay 300 bucks a head. It'd be like the Taylor Swift of the 90s. People like yeah. millennials would go bonkers, especially millennials living overseas. They've got this possible income, life crisis. You could very easily amass millions of dollars in this contract. And all she has to say is, okay, I'll do it. Sign here. Yeah. When it gets dispersed, I'll meet you in Miami or in Madrid. And that's a kind of coordination where I'm like, what are the simple structures that we can put in place where we tick yeah. several boxes? Onboard yeah. people for the first time, empower them to do or obtain something they really want and showcase that it can be simple to use, that you can create trust in people that do not know each other. They may not be living in the same jurisdiction. So th there's a list of things that you can really identify as requirements of the product and as benefits to Web3 if we're able to pull it off. And I say keep them yeah. as a way to do it because you can string along that flow. I'm not too immersed with the Cosmos ecosystem, but I'm sure that there can be a way to do it there as well. We're doing this. I mean, I, I love this. And one of the things that like, when you're in the middle of that, I was like so jazzed about, and actually this is possible. This is on near already. And I somehow haven't heard of it, but quadratic funding like is so useful, especially right now, because like right now it's, it's August, 2023, the bear market is still clawing us in the face. The foundations are, yes, we can single out NF, but besides the near foundation, like other foundations too, like understandably a little bit like shy to be giving out a whole bunch, but like. Quadratic funding, if you have heard that term and it sounds intimidating, it's just basically, it's similar to what we did in Hawaii in this one town that I was living in, where if you wanted to run as a county council candidate, there was a requirement that you would, if you wanted to get be a part of this program, you had to find like a like hundred people to pledge like 20 bucks for your campaign. And so the deal was you had to actually meet humans who are in your same zip code or whatever the jurisdiction is. And then that qualified you to get some extra money. That's really cool because then you're not just having one massive oil baron giving you all the money and then you're going to be beholden to them. And so quadratic funding is the same where it's we have this idea for like flights. We have this idea for a concert. We have this idea for whatever near con in like Antarctica or something. And like people who like vote on it, like the more people who vote on it and maybe maybe I give 15 near and most people give one near or something like that. But the more people who give one near will actually outweigh one person giving 5,000 near for the Antarctica trip. So the thing that actually gets the most traction is like how many people are saying, hey, this is a good idea. What, and the beauty of this is that if you have something like a near foundation that wants to throw some money into a bucket, because you do need like a, a couple benefactors, hopefully, to throw in some money into this pool that then will be used for either Antarctica or the, the Bogota thing or whatever. So I don't know if we have quadratic voting or funding in near, but this would be a really cool time to tackle that, I think. And including in what you're talking about. Have you met plug? Bug? Web3 plug? Like plug. Oh, I just recently have been seeing him on him, there, them or whatever on, on Twitter. I, I don't think I've DM'd or said hello yet. So I just released a podcast with him and it's hilarious. He's so funny, but also... He's working on a public goods type of funding. He works very closely with Gitcoin people. Awesome. And they're looking at building on top of that. We're talking about having 
different rounds for different levels of project. So if it's your second time, your third time, they're having a lot of challenges around the assessment of quality or delivery. Yeah. Because it's subjective, but I, yeah. I, actually, I want to ask you something, and, and this is something that I haven't really thought about too much, but I know uh, I, I sat in on the last NDC call, I think Max was leading it and people were doing the candidacies and stuff. Your eyes were just went wide. Do you want to say something? No, I've said yeah. all I've had to um, say. I'll listen to you. Okay. One thing that I think we need to revisit too, that this is also probably like a little bit of a weird, tough, uncomfortable conversation is yes, it's very good that validator nodes and chunk producers are decentralized on technical level. Like the blockchain is running because a whole bunch of random people are helping it run. That's great. I think that we maybe are still in this sort of stage where we're like, oh, then we should also decentralize everything about humans. And I just don't think that has ever worked in humanity. I've never seen, I've never heard of like a civilization that like did that or a society that really did that. And so when, especially when it comes to one thing that you just mentioned, which is like people assessing the quality of products kind of thing. And then also like probably who, like who gets the grants and stuff. I think that we're mammals and we're very emotional still where we just exited evolution and we're very emotional beings. And I think that some of these decisions actually should be shielded. And until zero knowledge comes around, I think we should have it off. I think we should have it like off chain and like people shouldn't know, oh, Mike voted against project or something. I think this is actually like a big problem when you have a, a small amount of users. I don't know what you think about that. I don't know if it's controversial, but like when it comes to assessing things like brass tacks, we maybe we should actually have a regular old council of like human beings who aren't voting in a DAO and everyone knows who they are. It comes back to what we mentioned at the beginning. What is the intention? Some things are better for some people. The classic, all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. If you have a benevolent dictator, like Eric famously appointed himself when he steps down from your foundation, and he tried to set up the House of Guilds, which would have been the earlier iteration of NDC. That's not really true because the NDC, it's more Ilya's vision afterwards. But if you have a benevolent dictator, someone who truly has the best intentions at heart and has a vision and they can get people's support, even if it's just by rallying behind them and contributing to the larger whole, it is obviously better to have actual leadership or at least a direction. The problem with that is that people start to muddy the waters. And sadly, there's very astute political operators, people that couldn't mm. code a Hello World website, mm. but that they know that if they attack individuals because it's centralized, in the decentralization or in the chaos, in the anarchy, that's where they thrive. There's people out there that are trying to weaken institutions, they're trying to weaken checks and balances. I saw it in regards to the anonymity of voting, I saw it in June. Hmm. When I put a proposal to remove one of the council members for the marketing DAO that was just not performing as much as I think he should have. These were issues boiling since March. No one said anything publicly. No one wanted to vote publicly. Yeah. Proposal fails. I stepped yeah. down. When I stepped yeah. down, literally two days later, no vote in the line. It's just a message of support towards me. You're not attacking someone. You're supporting someone. Slightly different. Yeah. Oh, then it is outpouring support. 60 people like, share, comments, I get DMs, and to everyone I said the same thing. Too little, too sure. late. That person is still there, now getting $4,000 a month, doing nothing. Now, yep. doubling up. Council member and trustee, so good fucking luck getting rid of him. And now running for a House of Merit. 
which to me is an absolute joke because I literally have a Key Palmer plush toy that does more work for the new ecosystem than he does. And I'll say it openly. Where the fuck are people complaining and contributing towards governance when it is needed? No one wants to yeah. say it, I will. And I'll put the funding of this podcast in the line because at some point I suspect marketing dial will tell me to get fucked too. But the reality is decentralization doesn't work when you don't have the right basis. And in near, we I, don't have I, that right base. I think it's deeply human. And I think maybe you and I are outliers in the sense that for almost everyone else in this world that I've met after 41 years, being conflict averse is very safe. Oh, oh, there's a conflict, whatever. I'm just going to walk away from it. This is actually probably the biggest problem in Cosmos that will probably take it down is that there's like serious problems with how it all started and, and who's in there, who has rank and all this kind of stuff. So we need to solve that. We need to solve the conflict averse problem. And that, that's not blaming people who didn't vote because like human beings, dude, we just want to look after ourselves and we're already too busy. And so you're just like, yeah, maybe I'm just not going to, I'm going to close that tab that, uh, uh, about voting. This actually leads to like a very serious answer that I think I have in, as a stopgap in the meantime. And I've talked about my, I've talked to my fiance for a while about this and she's been like software engineer, one of the smartest people I've ever met. She was like a project manager, just a very technical person, best video game player in the world. And, and th this thing that you're talking about reminds me, I should say, so I can take the attention away maybe from this specific thing. Croncat in Cosmos went through a sort of a grant thing. And there was one person who everyone knew was slowing stuff down and then no one wanted to say anything and then ended up dragging on for months. And it was like just a massive catastrophe. And all that happened because eight other human beings didn't want to say what had to be said about what needs to be fixed. So what's the solution here? Especially now that we have a bunch of these like satellite, you, got, you have Banyan and you have all these different people like spinning off and then real DAOs and stuff. Here's what I think. You need to have something that's like a drop. I hate to say this, but it's like a drop in HR. So it's like someone like my fiance needs to says, hey, like I, I charge a fee. I'm going to interview all 11 people in this DAO and you have to show up for the interview. We can't reschedule and I'm going to talk to you. And then I'm going to, as a third neutral party, repeat back to decision makers the things that I am hearing. I don't know any of these people. I'm just going to tell you like what I'm hearing and probably my recommendations according to all of the project management guides that I've like I've gone through. I think that's a very useful business just for solving this problem. I love it. I love it. And I actually proposed something very similar with the Radio Layer 1 guys and I've spoken with a few community trustees and I speak with a lot of people in general. A decentralized, keep the NPCs at bay, decentralized performance review board. Yeah. Get people yeah. with a real project, TVL, users, whatever, funding, get them in a room and they do a performance review of these DAOs as if these people were their employees. Because I can tell you, I work for Claudio. Okay. He has execution standards that are very high. He's worked for Atlassian. He's exited startups. He's got the largest TVL on DeFi close to. Awesome. He wouldn't tolerate not even 5% of the bullshit that goes on in these DAOs. Yeah. Get orderly network. Get the Play Ember guys, get the people that have all of their capital, all of their reputation, 24 hours a day contributing. I would get you in yeah. there. Because yeah, it's sad. Look, people forget one of my famous lines. It's a very thin line between community and communism. Communism mm. didn't work. 
when you have that maximalist dispersion of responsibility, if everyone mm. owns everything, no one owns anything. There's a real problem with not knowing who is in charge. There's a real problem with yeah. having oh, no yeah. consequences for your actions. Yeah. It's a challenge. I, Some people may I, not I, like I, it, but if we want to succeed as an ecosystem, we need to find a way to be decentralized. Anyone can do anything in their own realm, but we need to have the best practices for product management, product development, for engineering. Like we need to aim at excellence, not aim at the lowest common denominator because you can get some money short term out of the community treasury. That's where I get a little bit defensive. Yeah. I, the only caveat here is like, Aim for excellence unless you're Eugene and creating a brand new thing. And then all you should do is just really have fun and change the world. And then, because I think a lot of like builders are just like, oh my God, I had this idea. And then, and, and actually I, I, I will mention this too. I think a while back I was like, hey, Croncat on Nier could do, as soon as USDC comes to Nier, I think Marie yesterday, I think I retweeted, was like, hey, it's coming really soon. I think US Circle did an announcement. So as soon as, anyway, USDC is coming to Nier pretty soon. I was talking with someone else in the air a while back being like, hey, Croncat could act absolutely do Patreon. Easy. So easy, dude. And then have a Patreon set up for you. And then the middleman is not Google or Patreon or something. It's actually like some person in the community. That would be like super duper awesome. And the response that I got, and I'm not like upset about this, but this is a response that I kind of hope we can avoid in the future was like, yeah, but then we're going to need a, a launch checklist and we're going to need like you know, all this kind of stuff. It's almost like you're talking yourself out of it before you even built the thing. So that part, I think I would rather see explosive innovation. And then we're like, that thing's good. It looks like crap. We need to have fix a front end on that or something, which is what happened with Berry Club that they went through that and stuff. I think this might be the natural cycle of like explosive innovation. Look, so I don't like over planning. I think, first of all, I don't like it, but I think it's like a bad fit for certain things. Not everything. That is the beauty of aging gracefully. I'm younger than you, but I'm older than I look, I've been told. Old enough to really be able to appreciate where you fit in life. Mm. I know that I am not a sweet person. I'm not going to show up to the foundation, do some bullshit, spreadsheets. I am a different type of person. Personality, energy, I work better with people. For whatever reason, you need to find where you can do your best work. And there are many things that when I present them to people, like I presented two ideas to you today and you're very diplomatic and respectful. I appreciate it. I understand. Maybe the idea is shit and you should always take feedback on board, but maybe you're just talking to a person that the idea is not for them or it's not for them at that stage. Yeah. That's probably the biggest challenge for the founders, being able to discern which feedback to take on board and which one not to. Which sounds like terrible advice because you could very easily yeah. self-select into going broke. But yeah, that's a reality of it. Sometimes you just got to prove people wrong in the best yeah. of ways. <laughs> Maybe a toxic trait, but I think it gives you drive. Sometimes people I, have to see it to understand it and believe it. I also, I, there have been studies done on this actually, that if you explain the thing that you're about to do and you're, that you're really excited to do, you are less likely to actually do it because it's most people who like prepare for gymnastics or something. They will actually, they, if you go through the exact routine in your head, take the time to do that, then they, then the, on average, they will actually perform better because you're like, like this goes back to like imagination and like reality are both just sensory things that are happening and they're like the same. And so in that sense, like I really like how Eugene 
just sneakily does something. He just like, what's up guys? And then boom, now I have this. And it's just, I think I'm always, my whole life, I've been someone who's, hey, do you think this is a good idea? And then oh, you're right, you're right, it sucks or whatever. So I think, yes, let's like have some of that. Let's also have some room for ourselves. If we're really passionate about something and we think that by asking other people's advice that it might get shut down and that we're going to lose our mojo and our love of life, keep it secret. I think there's a beauty in keeping things secret and then shipping it and being like, what up guys, we did it. And then the first thing they'll say is like, why does it look so bad? And you're like, just try it though. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is cool. I'm more speaking to myself because I, I want to do that more often. I want to be Eugene, dude. I want to be like, yo, I did this secretly over three months or whatever. I love it that we're coming to the exact same point from the two complete different angles because you're from yep. the technical able to shape. I'm more from whatever insanity. Sometimes something works, yep. but it's the exact same approach, like unstructured, yep. but you have to do it because nobody else will. By the yep. way, I think. If you go back to the origins of your time at the foundation, and if I recall correctly, you started working on a zero to hero guide. That wasn't your job. Like you were doing it because you wanted to. Or... Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. This is like the classic Mike Purvis fault is I just care way too much and I'm just like emotionally invested in every single moment in life. But yeah, I, I love it. And it's actually still up. The, the tutorial about making, you can make your own crossword puzzle and how I built it and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if you've seen that, but I, I do want to pause and say that was one of the most like work, like working was hard because there weren't enough people. And I feel like Max did a very good job of shielding me from a lot of stuff. But I, I think I put on more pressure to myself than I, I ever should have. But there were moments that like really stood out as just like very fulfilling. And that what you just mentioned was one of them. And the reason why is I'm not, I haven't really seen that much on Twitter, but there was a whole bunch of Filipino NFT artists on Paris and all this kind of stuff. Right? You remember that? There was like a ton, like over a hundred, I want to say, definitely over a hundred. I remember they actually invited me into one of their Twitter groups one time because I was actually born and raised in the Philippines too. So I have a special a, a love for that. And so I ended up, it wasn't even that much money, but there was a little bit of foundation money I was able to use to, to pay Filipino NFT artists to commission pictures for this zero to hero tutorial. So it's actually, it's a little comic book and it's all about function call access keys and stuff. And it was like for near by near people. It was beautiful. Some of them, the styles are like wildly different. One, one, one dude went ape and it's just like, how did you do that? This mistake, like 50 hours to do. And I only paid you like 80 near or whatever it was, but that was a really fulfilling thing. And I actually, I don't know, dude, I think I have DevRel in my blood. I really enjoy explaining to people, especially technical things, because I think a lot of times it's, oh my gosh, Rust is scary. And it's, no, it's not. Like, I, let me sit down with you and explain. It's not. Let's get over your fear. I'll prove to you that it's not hard. Like that, th that, that brings a lot of passion for me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I haven't thought about that, that in a long time and uh, like very dear to my heart. The reason I'm smiling is because when we spoke the first time, sometime in 2021, may have been when I had this, whatever. At the time, I was like, Mike is so insightful. I wish we had recorded this as a podcast because I just learned a lot. And mm. the Zero to Hero and the Filipino artists were something that you mentioned at the time that I had forgotten. No, really? I remember that we talked Aww. about something. It's going to be back. Yeah, I haven't forgot. Yeah, those folks are amazing. Yeah, it looks like Ricky from Paris has also got a couple of different networks going and that's amazing. Yeah. I'm with him here in Bali. I saw him yesterday. Oh, cool. That's right. V very photogenic Dude. as well. I must say, we take the best photos. I have a really funny thing that I, this is maybe another like little alpha thing that I want to share with you. Right now I'm looking at our, my discord and I'm going all the way to the top. And this is from July 25th, 2020. 
was my first DM to Ricky from Paris. I said, hey, are you the author of, and then I, I point to his repository, which was called Move by Paris. And he said, hey, sorry, sorry for the late reply. Yes, I'm the author. I said, hey, awesome. I just wanted to say that it's a great project for the hackathon and sorry it wasn't chosen as one of the winners. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and that was Paris. You, you just reach out to them. You like, you got to throw love and, and then boom, like Paris was like, I, I, I haven't been on the near sphere for a long time, but it was very successful is my estimation. Yeah. I'm going to throw two questions at you, another toilet break, and you Fair. can choose either one or just ignore them. Okay. The first one, I don't know if this was ever publicly disclosed. I don't think I know or remember like why or how you lived in your ecosystems to go to Cosmos. And the second one, what, from all your experience, what can we do to attract more Mike Purvis or more oh, wow. entrepreneurs like Ricky? Just create that culture of learning and camaraderie and. I love it. Yeah. How about we, yeah. How about we do the bathroom break and I'll be like, I'll be whizzing and thinking. Done. Yeah. Two minutes. Yeah. Are we going to end on this nice, these awesome questions? Is that yeah, your We could thought? keep going forever, but yeah, the, I think that these two are good. Okay, cool. Yeah. If you are pressed with time, there would only be a third one that I would add, and it would be more around the modern tech stack of Near. There's just been a lot of things around like boss, meta transactions, implicit accounts, because I think that would look back into that primitives for building those yeah. mass adoption products. That's true. That's true. I, I, yeah. I may not have great ideas on that one, but yeah, I'll start with the, I'll start with the first two. Um, you want to, otherwise, once again, feel free to skip and choose. Awesome. Thank you. So it was, the second one was how do we bring more people in who are the same vibes? First one was, the first question was, why no more Mike? Oh yeah. Oh Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I haven't really thought about this in a while. I think, I guess the honest question or the honest answer to like why leaving near and all that is probably just rooted in like good old fashioned burnout. It was something that I remember Max was kept telling me over and over again, don't burn out, don't burn out. He would tell everyone, don't burn out, but don't burn out. And he did a really good job of that. I think I was at a point where I had so many ideas of what the possibilities could be for Web3 projects. And I was like doing crossword on the side, but I was really in love with the crossword. I was like so stoked that it was going to work and all this kind of stuff. And it was novel and never been done and all this. And I think my brain had was living in this like builder mode of, oh my God, and what about this? And what about this? And it's like all I wanted to think about, but my day to day had, had changed a little bit. And I give mad props to both Ilya and Marik, who were just like very trusting and being like, cool, here are the things to handle, do it your way, basically. And it is an amazing amount of trust that like, I think few people ever get from senior folks like that. So I think the honest answer was like, I remember thinking about Croncat and being like, this could actually change the way it's good because it can, any, or not even Chronicat, automation can change the kinds of things you can build in the same way that the adding GPS to a phone and a computer can suddenly change all of that as well. It was really me not wanting to depart from this cloud of thoughts that were just so fascinating. This is the first time in my life I started programming in middle school. I had a youth pastor give me a computer and give me some lessons and I was doing visual basic and all this kind of stuff. And it's my first time in my life when it's like, I've actually arrived at a situation where I can be the first person to think of something interesting that no one has thought of. And there's, there is something like really, I don't know, but this is why people went West. Maybe, I don't know. It's just, just the exploration. And there's, there are a lot of tasks that need to get done that 
don't involve exploration, like the opposite of exploration. That I think that kind of wore me down. I didn't communicate very, that very well. I definitely look back and I'm just like, yeah, I should have told Ilya that things were worse than they were. But hey, like I'm 41, but not that mature, apparently. So that, that was how that went. I think that it was a really interesting and good choice to take on the risk of building Croncat and Cosmos. But it's like, surely one of these dozen chains is going to say, oh, wow, this thing like makes us stand out. And there's a ton of other chains that are exactly like us. So we're going to really go all in or something. Didn't happen. But I don't think that, I don't think that idea was dumb. I think in like a normal world, that would make sense. But I do think that maybe we need to experience an extinction event for people to actually realize that you differentiate or die. In short, yeah. Does that kind of cover a little bit of it here for Mike Purvis? Yes. And especially, it clears up a lot of doubts. If I understand correctly, the move was you going towards your true core as a builder and entrepreneur, as opposed to away from NF or the doubt is really born out of a time of a lot of change in the ecosystem. Who left? Who was let go? And for most roles, maybe people don't give a shit. But the theme that keeps coming up is we don't want to lose top talent. And if we do, yeah. maybe there are feedback, lessons, insights. Like obviously getting Mike would be like number one, but learning from the Mike experience to not lose others would be number two. And so that, that was why I was like, I don't know if this has ever been disclosed publicly. I'm guessing that Blaze, no, Ilya, no, et cetera, I know that. Yeah, I think, that, yeah this, I think this is a good conversation. I wasn't expecting it, but I am also like, I feel like I've done a lot of reflection. I don't feel like I'm going to say anything bad or that I'm going to regret or anything. I, I do want to, okay, so as I said before, there's like yin and yang. And so I, I was like, hey, yeah, I want, I'm a builder. That's like the yang. That's the great story. The yin, which is the sort of usually negative side, is I don't really know what's going on. I'll just be totally frank. I, I think I was like, experiencing so much stress that it was like really manifesting in me, like not being nice to people. And that was obvious. Even like my close friend, Josh Ford, I had a good uh, chat with him in Paris and we're like really good friends. And so he's just, yeah, you're like two different people. Like you could really be scorched earth. And I did get there. I did get there. I don't think everyone got to see it, but the people who did get to see it, like it was not okay. And I'm not going to say that much more, but I'm like, have been dealing with a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Doctor wise. And I have a really awesome therapist who is out geeking me, by the way. My therapist gave a Battlestar Galactica reference recently. And I was like, dang it, I haven't seen that. And then our next therapy visit, he dropped like a Star Wars reference. And he's like, oh yeah, but you, but you don't really like sci-fi, do you? And I'm like, no, dude, I swear I'm a nerd, dude. I just haven't seen this Battlestar Galactica. Hey. Yeah. I'm going to be honest and say that like, I... I've actually been con confused as to why a negative version of me comes out. And I, all I can say is I've been like very seriously like addressing that. Yeah. So don't pay me as some angel, even though I've got a police chair. Fair I, enough. I, I would it, say. It yeah. is also a trait of very smart people. Be manic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I mentioned earlier in the episode that Eugene is amazing. Very funny. Can be. But he also has a tough side. You don't want to be on his bad side. So maybe slightly different things in general. It is human to not always be glass half full, especially when it's so early, but it is also so large. That's always been my grievance with the foundation. Yeah. Are we a startup or are we a corporation? Is yeah. Web3 a big industry or are we like basement with a whiteboard? There's... There are issues when people are not on the same page. 
Yeah. Okay. So also I will take a little bit of a tangent too. Cause like I, one thing that I don't, that I like to call, I like to call out, you did not say this, but this is a little bit related where people are like, but wait, I thought blockchain was supposed to da, 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 da. And what are you talking about? Oh, but I thought the internet was supposed to just send email. And so no, it, the internet is just like this thing that like, so now you can send electrons to other people and their computers can know what to do with those, with those electrons. It's not for, internet isn't for anything. Like Web3 blockchain isn't for anything. We just discovered this thing and we're trying to figure out how to like make it work in our society that like runs on VC money. And, and, and this is going to be very challenging because we have learned, we've all learned because of fan companies and because of VCs that everything on the internet is supposed to be free. Facebook's free. MySpace is free. Google search is free. None of that shit's free, dude. None of that shit's free. But the VCs just paid for it on our behalf for so long that now we just think everything is supposed to be free. And then, and I even do this with myself where it's, oh, cool. Do you want to get a subscription to this like article or whatever? And it's like, hell no. What are you, what are you kidding me? And it's no, actually someone took a bunch of time and they wrote that thing, dude. So I find myself doing that. But at the same time, I have manually gone in and I've set my brave settings so that I'm giving a hundred bucks a month away to creators, right? So th 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 there's a weird thing that we have to get through. And this is where I think a boss is rad and actually Froll was at this conference that I was at in Berlin. Amazing human being, dude. Froll is like one of the most pure human beings. He's like Keanu Reeves of Nier, dude. I was going to say um, he's like a golden retriever, but... He's like maybe. super smart, dude. Yeah, I, I, actually, I want to give you a slice of life on him, too. I was in Argentina in like Jan January or February 2020. It was me, Froll, Marcelo... And then another like competitive programmer whose name is slipping my mind. And I was in the taxi, I was in the middle of the seat and the competitive programmers were talking and I'm just kind of like listening in on what they're saying. And Froll was literally like talking to one of the other ones being like, what the thing is, some people just don't really know how to program as well. And so when I'm managing a team, what I try to realize is that some people have different levels of whatever. He's just so perfect and just wonderful guy. Anyway, I say that because Froll was at this uh, conference that I was at and he talked to a couple of Cosmos people who are, I consider very close friends now. They're like basically Benji V2. And they got so pilled on Boss, by the way. They were like, holy moly. And they had a long conversation and all this kind of stuff. The only concern that I relate with that is that like, we still need to like shake or maybe we don't need to, but like we're all under this weird spell that everything's supposed to be free when that's never been the case, actually. And luckily, Nier is so cheap that it's practically free. But that's going to be a challenge just broadly for society is if we want to actually start moving stuff on chain, then we're going to have to deal with the fact that not everything's going to be free. Or maybe there are meta transactions and you have like horrible ads to get past people or something like that. I don't know. Podcast, I believe 31 with Sandy Fatik from Calimero. I propose, what if we create like a vault and we, and by the way, we have the technology now. I don't think I knew about this when I proposed it back in the day. Or maybe I did. Key pump style trial accounts or and or meta transactions should be for 100 million near. I would rather burn 100 million near subsidizing all transactions for all legitimate projects and applications than in bullshit grants. Obviously, it doesn't have to be either or, but when you think about the inflation near and the community treasury at the moment, we could at least get things going. Because as you say, the trade off of having horrible ads or charging people too early and killing the flywheel before it starts, I'd consider it. I actually, I, 
okay. I'm not, I don't know if this is like my full opinion, but I want, I want to see people try this is the exact opposite, which is we chart like every single transaction that people sign on near should not be less than a cent. It should be like six cents. It's like these validators, these chunk producers, they need to get paid, dude. Val validating, validating is like very hard to make money. We need to feed our validators. And especially if relayers are going to come into the scene meta transactions. I haven't done a deep dive, but I assume there's like relayers going on. There's a dude in Cosmos. This is a problem in Cosmos too. There's a dude in Cosmos named Joe Abbey. And he posted a screenshot like three, three or four months ago. He's spending $500 a month on relayers and getting nothing for it. There's no sort of incentive going on. So I think we also maybe need to maybe not move past, but like actually address head on, like we should be charging more per transaction, actually. Like not just because, oh, it could be cheap. Yeah, it's cheap everywhere. Are the validators able to survive? Are we actually decentralizing? Anyway, like that is a controversial take in and of itself. Oh, dude, I've been in the middle of that validator revolt because I was one of the, I helped organize Stake Wars 3. Oh, cool. The, the price of Nier between the beginning and the end of the competition was very different. And honestly, the rewards were based on the cost of the seed. It was 26,000 near. You could get up to 50,000. Mm. And the problem is that by the time that we actually dispersed in near, all of the validators are operating at a loss. If you're running a validator with 50,000 near deposited in it, you are at a deep loss. At yeah. the price of near right now, you must have at least 700,000. At least. It's a lot. So yeah, it was a yeah. very tricky conversation around the competition itself was never meant to be like a revenue generating Act. It was just to help people getting set up. And from there, you can try to increase your delegation. But it inevitably trickles on to the conversation of are transactions too cheap? And yeah. what can we do as an ecosystem to just get more transactions? Because it, it goes around yeah. right? Validators are not making money. Okay. The KPIs then at the foundation for giving out money or for the NTC are what can we do to put things on chain? Like, it's very murky. And I think that this links to what I mentioned before around the foundation thinking, fuck it, we'll get 18 rewards and points and things that may not look like Web3, or we can have 10 million yep. transactions per month by the end of whatever queue they choose. It's not easy. And this is a boring part because I'm with you. I like ideas. I like going in my own little world and doing the exciting stuff. But somebody has to deal with this boring bullshit. Yeah. And, and it, it actually will affect projects, especially with regards to the percentage of rewards that you get for someone using your smart contract, because it is negligible right now. I'm pretty sure it's no, that's normal because there's not like 500,000 active users a day on near. So there's not that much. And we had to be like, oh, that's actually the freaking rewards. And so there's actually a chain on Cosmos called Archway that just launched. And that, that was kind of like their whole shtick is we're giving like developer rewards and they are literally doing it so that like transactions cost like more. So like maybe we can watch to see how that goes and then see what happens. Yeah. There's another one for you to keep an eye on. Aurora. Oh yeah. Aurora token is obviously down. It could well go to zero and beyond, but in the review tokenomics, which were very overdue, they actually introduced a buyback and burn mechanism and mm. the funds being used for the buyback are the, it's a 30% dev rewards from the transactions. So basically oh, every single transaction on Aurora accrues this fee to the main contract. That's really cool, dude. That's really cool. I didn't know that the Aurora validator, because it's a V2 validator and they give out Aurora instead of near, they chose to 
burn 30% of the near that the validator receives. Dude, this is the craziest story. I haven't said this publicly. So Metapool introduces community governance. And I'm like, fuck it. It's fine. Having ambassadors go to CoinFest and whatnot, that's great. But I just want to burn it. Like protocol revenue, just buy back Meta and burn it. So I create a little proposal. And as part of the proposal, what I did was I created a new account, like zero X, a bunch of zeros, and I deleted the keys because I learned how to do mm. it. I'm a YouTube tutorial. Oh, yeah. dude. As I share it, Eugene the Dream replies, oh, by the way, there is an implicit account on Nier, which is 64 zeros, like literally just 64 mm. digits, all zeros. And I go check it out on Pyspeak, and I see there's a bunch of shitty coins that people have sent. But dude, there's like 200,000 Nier in there. And I was like, this is strange. Who burned this much Nier? So I start digging deeper, and I see that the Aurora validator burned all that Nier. And I dig oh, deeper. Wow. Some fucking rando made a call to burn near from that validator. And I was like, oh, oh my God, this is a vulnerability. I started messaging people. And they're like, buy back and burn, bro. He okay, replied and he was like, he didn't make it explicitly clear that it was a feature, not a bug. He was like, oh, yeah, like the validators burn near. I messaged one of the engineers at Metapool, Alan, and I was like, hey, man, do you know how to use CLI? Yeah, of course. Do me a favor. Can you run this command on this validator? Dude, we withdrew and burned like 187,000 near. Whoa. <laughs> it was just sitting there waiting for someone to call it and burn it or yeah. something? Yeah, basically. Wow. Cronkite so could have done that. Huh? Cat Cat it, up. that. I, it should be obvious that obviously the Aurora validator benefits the longer that the near is still there because I guess it compounds. But yeah, let's set up Cronkite and just burn that motherfucker. Love it. I love it. This reminds me. I actually, yeah, I do. I, I really enjoy Alex Shevchenko a lot. Like we, yeah, even when I was in my burnout phase, we always made time every other week to have a meeting and j just to hang out, dude. It is really good guy. So I actually messaged him a few days ago and I was just like, hey, I just want to tell you about my life and what's been going on. And then he told me, I think this was like on Monday. He's just because I was saying, oh, like I still have a, I still have code where you have a Rust smart contract on near and you can call into a EVM smart contract on Ethereum thing on Aurora, which is really cool. And you can tell if it succeeded or failed. And my plan at the time was like, I think you could actually have ERC-20s on in an Aurora contract. And then in your Rust smart contract, you could send one transaction into Aurora to that address. And then if it succeeds, that means that it's bridging the funds back to you. If it fails, then that means that it failed. Anyway, that's, that was kind of like my original idea like two years ago. And Shevchenko says that like, they now have cross-contract calls in Aurora between, yeah, but yeah, between Ethereum accounts and outside. I don't know how explored that is, but if we're talking about superpowers and how can differentiate near, there's got to be some really rad stuff that people would have wanted to do in Ethereum, like automation maybe, but they can't do. But then you can just freaking build it in Rust and then just call right in there, buddy. So I, I, it'd be so fun if we had like a round table of a bunch of devs being like, okay, is this a superpower? Let's talk about it for 20 minutes. Is this superpower? All that kind of stuff. I would throw that in the list of cross-contract calls between Ethereum and, and Nier. Super, superpower X-Men reunion. Yes. X-X-X-Men. Yes, yes. The second X is for gender neutral. I saw the cross-contract call release at East Denver, and then I entered a hackathon in ETH Soul. My team, there were a couple of Solidity developers, like they were on usual us, and I sold them an idea to do, it was like a berry club fork of sorts 
Cool. And it was hilarious because I was looking for Shevchenko to ask him some questions. I ran into Ilya. I asked Ilya and I told him like, Ilya, you know what I've realized is hackathon? Devs don't read documentation. <laughs> and he's like, oh, trust me. I know. Yeah. Anyway, but what we did, which was insane, and I hadn't realized before, but it should have been obvious, is we created a MUT. We had a hybrid application where we took the Berry Club mm. code in Rust that we forked, and then they wrote Solidity code on Aurora. And somehow Whoa. it was meant to talk to each other. And I was like, holy awesome. shit, this is it. Fork any EVM code. You, I've heard there were some issues with Aurora because the uh, transaction times are too short. So you may have to do some magic there. But in general, as you say, like superpowers. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I think that'd be, I think that'd be a big deal. And I think I talked to Michael Birch from Aurora too, being like, because like, what can we do with, with this, right? So can meta transactions just go into Aurora then? Or is that already how it works? And I, I think one of the thoughts that I had was like, you actually have basically random numbers on near. I think it's been there for a long time. And if you're Marcelo or someone way smarter than me, then you say it's not exactly as random as like this one NIST paper claims that you should be whatever. It's random, right? And so it's like you could even take randomness from like the near side and just throw that into Aurora. And I was having this conversation with uh, Michael Birch from Aurora like two years ago. And he's like, or we could just expose that one function. And that's way easier. I was like, yes, you have the idea. But anyway, it's this sort of idea that like, if we ever have things that are our superpowers on the near side, that like Ethereum people will be like, what? You can do that? We got to be like shipping that stuff to the EVM. Yeah. There is one thing that I saw on the community updated roadmap or whatever the rest of the year. There's an NEP from the Aurora team to have sync wasm state. Cool. And I obviously yeah. didn't get much of what the fuck that means, but. The blog post, yeah. the original blog post that I read, I think they did some benchmarking. And if they were able to get Aurora to run at that sync wasm state, as opposed to the account level where it is now, they can get it to be 1500 times cheaper. Oh, wow. And I'm assuming that there'd be other compatibility things there. I don't know. I wow. like the idea of hosting the superheroes roundtable, and we can ascertain what our superpowers, because there's yeah. two challenges that we have. The first one is defining the superpower and laying it down for the community to embrace and communicate. The second problem that we have is that a lot of the superpowers are actually in the pipeline or they're like half-baked. Like we're not communicating the strategy, like fully baked. If you look at something, FastAuth is great, but you can only use it on near.org right now and until you can export your private keys, very limited. I heard that they're working on an SDK with Sweatcoin until there is an SDK for any other application to implement. It's like limited. There's many things like that. I heard Kendall from Proximity. This was a substack. Dude, I read this on a substack from like an hmm. interview that someone did to him. You know what they're talking about hmm. now? Dude, you're going to dig this shit. Data storage. There are two mentions to data storage for Ethereum L2s on Near, And apparently it is 40% cheaper. Hmm if they do it on here instead of uh, L, the main L1. Whoa. And then at the very end, he says, things to look forward to, data storage on Ethereum L2s and Cosmos chains. And I was like, what? Why is no one talking about data storage? Wow. You can see how the narrative gets much more interesting than just being the front end, which is like boring. Yeah. I, I, I think this is interesting too, because it's like the boss stuff 
And I'm really curious to hear your thoughts because I haven't given it that much thought. It's, this is my impression. It's like very impressive. It's not necessarily solving a pain point that everyone wants yet. My one concern, and this actually bleeds into your second question from a while ago, is like, what would I like to see more of or whatever to attract different people? Is I, the reason I would say that like Cosmos, like it, I was looking around different places and then I just saw all the technical discussions happening every day in Cosmos. It's happening right now. It's happening right now. There's 12 discussions that I haven't read today that are amazing and I will understand and I will like hopefully chime in on maybe or I would have. And that is actually like a pretty powerful. Like sometimes there's like cross pollination where like my, me and Evan Van Ness from in kind of more Ethereum world, although Evan Van Ness does like near a lot, get to cross pollinate and stuff. There hasn't really been much cross-pollination with near people, like near builders on technical stuff. Where are these discussions taking place in Cosmos? Twitter. Yeah, it's all Twitter. Uh, it's all day, every day. People are talking about really interesting stuff. And so initially, and this isn't like that big of a criticism, but like my initial thought when I heard of Boss was like, now you guys are less on Twitter. And that's where a lot of these interesting conversations are happening. And like people can be like, hey, I'm, you can see you get a reply from someone with a dot lens thing and you realize, oh, they don't they're from a different ecosystem, but they're asking a question and I'll answer it and stuff. So I think boss is amazing. And I think one of the most amazing things, it was just a small just point that I think people should be like way more on Twitter. Shout out to like Jacob Lindahl and Mar Mario Dutnier or Mark Mario R. Dutnier. I don't know who that guy is, but he's great. And I think Dennis from Pagoda was doing stuff Pizza uh, for a while. I don't... What's that? Pizza Dennis. Pizza Dennis. He used to have a pizza as a PFP. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. I met him in person um, in, I... in, in, and uh, oh, he's cool. like, oh, I'm Dennis. I was like, oh, are you Pizza Dennis? Random. I, I, I agree. I really, so I had a cool moment in, what was it? It was just like, I think Boss had been around for a bit and... And then me and James Waugh have been ch chatting back and forth because I think James understands building components or modules on Boss really well. And so I told him in late September, let's hang out and let's see what it takes to build a Boss front end for Crossword. I think that'd be so awesome, dude. That'd be so awesome. And so I, I, was, talking with, I was talking with James Waugh and I was getting all psyched and I went to the near social Telegram group and I was like, hey, is it possible from my smart contract to tell which boss front end or, or who called me who made this possible rewards and I, I just that happened to be the timing that like ilio happened to be there and he was like yes he had a, a bigger answer but it was like yes this actually could be done that's amazing so that you can really have oh okay you have like maybe a, a beginner front end that someone made and they get to make a little bit of money for a bit and then someone else actually like really cleans it up and then all of a sudden they get to make money and like the end user has a choice oh i kind of prefer this person's crossword front end oh i prefer this person's and everyone's getting paid that's a beautiful thing. So that that is like super duper impressive. I don't know if anyone's really done sort of rev share that way, but that'd be dope. You know what's crazy? Once again, I hate groupthink. I understand why with some complex things, having a unified message, which is simple to understand, makes sense. A lot of the things that I'm excited about on Nier and Boss right now, literally no one is talking about it. Like it is like hmm. me joining the dots. There was one that Shevchenko mentioned in passing in response to a question that somebody asked during one of his YouTube videos. He does a weekly update. Was it Shevchenko? Somebody mentioned it. Because, yeah, those were the hmm. two this week. There was a proximity candle in a DeFi blog from an obscure, right, it's not an obscure, on a Substack. 
and Shevchenko replying to someone on his alpha leak video with 60 views, whatever. He said in regards to implicit accounts and remote accounts, it's in the, it's in the backlog for Pagoda, he can't really speak about the timelines, but in due time, you will be able to bind, say, a Solana wallet with a Near wallet, and users from Solana can use any application in Near without ever leaving wow. their Solana wallet or the known environment. Cool. That's cool. Because to me, it removes the tribalism. Now you don't have to choose to build on an ecosystem to be able to have those users, which is big. It's what he says afterwards that I was like, holy fuck. Maybe there's a reason why this is not being said out loud. Because maybe people wouldn't do it. Like this is a master hmm. move where you win as a checkmate. He said that when you reach that level where you have all these frontends for applications from many ecosystems on Near and the actual transaction executes on Near. People use their Solana mm -hmm. wallets, but the transaction executes via Near. Now you have an aggregation layer across all of Web3. And hmm. there you have a ton of just data gathering sounds dirty. But when you start to think of where these big data AI people come from, then you have reputation, interoperability. There's just so much that comes from having that one layer. My muggle mind struggles wow. to understand, but I can get that it's big. The that, things that, that is amazing. I believe that maybe the same thing's happening with Ethereum too. I think it's possible that there were approaching, I, I, I saw an issue created by Ilya this week actually about let's basically let MetaMask sign natively, meaning change the protocol. Like that, that that's actually like super massive. Hey, I think it's cool. I, so do you think, I'm really curious because like I'm, I try to pay attention as much, as much as I can. And I think Ma Max used to tell me that I'm able to handle like a lot more. I'm able to handle a lot of input more than like normal people. And I think that so I'm catching some stuff, but I'm not catching like everything. God damn it. It happened again. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you think like that? I think a lot of blockchains are maybe guilty of now we're trying this and now we're trying this or whatever. And obviously boss has been a very like united front. I see Kendall saying boss. I see like a lot of so. Everyone got the message that like, yeah, this is the sort of like situation that we're going to be like really focusing on. on. Do you, 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 you get that strong vibe that like, yeah, we've got like a singular pr purpose now because it does seem that way to me. And it seems like that's, that has been successful. Or do you have a read on this? I'm curious. Yes. Whether it's reality or science fiction, knowing five years time, well, I'm going on the record. Maybe we did have that problem of trying too many things before. And we definitely honed down on the boss almost too much. Some people mm. were like, what the fuck? If I'm not doing boss, like I'm still part of this ecosystem. There was a bit of confusion, mm. here, especially what boss really mm. is. I know there are some like internal branding meetings now actually discussing like changing the branding, like blockchain OS or something a little bit easier to understand because it's too much of a meme. Oh, I'm the boss. You're the boss. As in the leader of organization. My view of the world which may or may not be correct, is there's like a, there's like a bad boy element to Ilya. He's got a master plan, but he hmm. has not disclosed it to the world. Dude, if you go to my Twitter, the pinned photo, that is me in Korea roughly one year ago. Ilya is stuck into an Animoca brand dude. He pulls out his phone and he shows him. This is everything that needs to be built and how it is connected. And he hands his phone over to me. On that photo, I'm holding his phone. You can't see the image because of the glare. Look at my face. Like, he has a master plan. And I think he mm. understands that unless you lay brick by brick, we're not going to get there. 
He's not going to waste time arguing with people. Is this right? Is this not right? Is that going to waste time? He's just going step by step. So I think that boss is one of those milestones where, okay, we're here. We're going here. We may not know what that is. But then boss introduces something interesting. It needs critical mass. There's very yeah. few things in life that need critical mass. And it's social or yeah. it's AI. Everything else can work in isolation. Like we learned from Solana, you can have a DeFi ecosystem that it's one dude mm, yeah. leveraging against himself. But social and AI need critical mass. Now, putting all that aside, and who knows, maybe Ilya is a very simple human being and I'm giving him way too much credit. There is something about Boss, once again, the narrative that I like and that it took me a long time to understand. 2018, 2019, bear market. I was doing like startup and I started getting into the no code side of things. I built an application on Bubble. I learned how to use Glide. I did 100 days of no code. Like, it's actually a really nice, vibrant community. And in, Indie Hackers podcast, Indie Hackers forum. I loved that community of people with ideas. Doesn't have to be huge. You don't want to be Facebook. Solopreneurs solve a problem. Having the ability to patch things together without knowing how to code, doing it super fast and super cheap, there's been an explosion of products. Boss would probably be low code in the sense that you still need to patch things together to some extent. But I think that's the vision. I know for a fact that the foundation just changed the KPIs from Web 2.5 and all these rewards, points, people that they signed on. I guess those just have to come on mainnet. The KPIs now have changed to developers. They want to have a specific number of developers to be active on near. And within those developers, it's the amount of components built and feedback from them, like just to keep improving. The reasoning of having an ever-growing amount of components that can be mixed and matched, almost like Legos, to have more and more applications, makes sense to me. I've been thinking of, hey, let's create, I wouldn't say Reddit because it's too broad, it's too vague, it's too big. Let's say I want to have a mini Reddit or maybe what would be the equivalent of a subreddit for my podcast. I want each yeah. episode to have its page and people can go and discuss there and the guests can drop by and share and whatnot. Technically. Most of those components for doing that are there and I can deploy my own gateway with my own domain. That is the product talk and the experimentation talk. And as you put it, the identifying the superpowers and really going hard mm. that we mm. need. Yeah, I, I love it. I, I, it does seem like there is an overarching plan here, especially when it's might as well have your front end be decentralized and you might as well just go through us and you're not going to notice anything. Actually, I really like that. I, I Yeah, I, I will say too, I, I want to, I feel like you oftentimes in this, you've like said something and it's reminded me of a pretty beautiful slice of life that I haven't really ever shared with anyone. And here's another one, which is, I think I was at like maximum burnout and just wanting to do something else, but not knowing how to ask for help and all this kind of stuff. And this was actually when the Ukrainian war was just starting, dude. And it was really bad. And I was like, it was during that time. And that, that was around the time that I actually like officially resigned. And, the, and I still feel very bad about that because... Obviously, Ilya has is Ukrainian from Ukraine. It was a big deal. I remember hopping on a call with him, and he did not look good. And it was just like it was a bad time. And so this the positive slice of life is so I resigned, and then there was supposed to be like a final meeting. Okay, cool. Let's go over like this and that. I just assumed no one's going to show up because I'm a, I'm a lame duck, and I'm out of here. And they're just like, can't believe we betted on this guy. Blah blah. And but yeah, I show up for a meeting anyway with Ilya. And Ilya was like, okay, cool. So we're going to go over your performance review. And, and he just went over 
just everything, like giving me positive feedback and constructive criticism and stuff. And it was like, his reaction was not like, oh, you're out of here. So this is a waste of time. I got to do something else. He literally just sat in a meeting and just like normal, gave me the performance review and gave me good criticism and positivity too. And I was just like, who is this guy? I, especially at that state of mind, there's no way I would have tried to talk to someone who I knew was like on their way out and had been given a bunch of trust and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, he's, I never really thought about Ilya having a master plan, but I've just seen him as, I can't believe this guy is over 10 years younger than me because he is very mature in a lot of his decisions. It's like, uh, yeah, I don't know how you become that. Did you ever experience on your career as an engineer, that transition when you're so good at what you do that you become a manager and you can no longer do what you're actually good at? Yes. Yeah. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a mystery. Like that definitely happened at near. And I, I want to say immediately after that, that my fiance had that exact same thing happen to her and it really stressed her out to the point where she actually went to the hospital with hives and it, it was a big deal. That is a very hard thing to balance because you, you don't want to have like Eugene try to be a manager, not because he wouldn't be a good manager, but because dude, just let him do his thing for crying out loud. And, but at the same time, you're strapped for resources. So you got to be like, oh, this person can communicate and they're not so soft that they're conflict averse and they're willing to give feedback. So there can be a jerk sometimes. I guess let's roll the dice and see how this person does. And I think that's what happened to me, but. I, as I said, I think that I've had a little bit of a journey since mental health wise and stuff, and I'm having a much better perspective on all that stuff. I think it's the tragedy, like tragedy of the comments is something else. I think it's the most common tragedy in most corporate settings. I see it happening everywhere. If you're a good teacher, you stop teaching. You're a good lawyer. You become a man. It happens everywhere. But where yeah. I'm thinking that it may be particularly critical is if you're a technical founder. I yeah. spoke to Ilya. I mean, this would have been Korea last year. Time goes by very fast. Maybe I'm confused. I've seen him in like four different continents since then. And I asked him something. <laughs> Fun fact. I think I was trying to chill him on ideas. If he wanted to enter the hackathon with me. Half joke, half <laughs> real. I thought the idea was good. And you know what he said to me? He doesn't code anymore. What state really? is the world in where we what? don't have Ilya coding? Sure. We need someone to represent Nier, and he is very good at engaging with developers because he can answer questions at a very high level. But if he's not coding, like, I'll fucking jump on a stage. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I promise I won't swear. I'll shave. Let's get somebody else. To, let's clone him. Let's find a, a an impersonator. Yeah, you, you know what? Dude, I, okay, I, I will say this, and I won't mention whatever, the spinoff and all that kind of stuff, but there was a spinoff, and as I was leaving, they thought... As I was resigning, they thought that I must have been like flipping the bird to the whole whatever. And so I hopped on the call and, it, and someone was like, Ilya, basically, it doesn't, I won't go into the bad parts, but they're basically saying Ilya isn't like as technical as you think. And uh, I didn't say anything, but it's like, you're dead wrong, dude. I have studied his code in a lot of places. And yeah, dude, like th there's some stuff with REST smart contracts that I still have no idea how to do it's it looks really weird it's no mangle all this crazy stuff and that the guy that guy knows his stuff and he can write something D didn't he write dragon near wasn't that a game like a long time ago like two years ago or something he wrote a game in is rust when he wrote he did it like is that the one he wrote while traveling on a plane exactly dude like it that 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 is not easy dude that is not easy i will never have that aptitude and it's one of those times when you, you're next to someone or you're close to someone and you, there is a hybrid of admiration and jealousy where you're just like, 
dang it, I wish I could do that. But anyway, in case anyone was following this crazy person who said that Ilya is not technical, that's dead wrong, dude. And everything has nuance. I understand that there may be different type of technicals. Some people are more architecture. Some people are more down with the code. Some are more DevOps. Maybe to their eyes, there was a mild disagreement on something very specific that maybe wasn't Julia's yeah. domain. I do think that the broad generalization probably incorrect. But yeah, yeah. yeah. And actually, this is another sort of, if we're brainstorming on just like any sort of suggestions on how things might change, like, I, I think that there is something possibly at near. I, I don't know for sure, but it's something like if you work there three years, then you can get X amount of weeks sabbatical kind of thing. I actually think that this is such a highly creative and brain intensive time that like I, I really think like certain engineers and this is again where it gets weird. We're like, you can't give every engineer this, but certain engineers should have a month sabbatical a year or something to build something. Because a lot of the stuff, dude, if you're a builder, you know that like sometimes you can't get in the flow. Sometimes you get in the flow and you're up till 3 a.m. and then you wake up the next morning and you know exactly what to do and you should not have any meetings and you need to just clear the path for those people. This isn't just, oh yeah, that'd be really fun. Oh, extra vacations. There, there are a lot of people who like really wouldn't just watch TV all day. They would really want to like me with Chroncat, it's there is some sort of like very powerful attraction of Web3 is happening in my lifetime. I It's almost like a new sidewalk has been poured with cement and it's curing and I'm putting my foot right in that thing, dude. I was here. And that is a very strong driving force. And I, I would love to see near or someone else just have some like pr pretty generous sabbatical building phases built in. I, I think that would actually that would actually do the ecosystem good. That makes a lot of sense from within foundation. Were you foundation or ink? I plead the fifth. No, I don't know. I don't know. I think it was one of those weird situations where Pagoda was turned. It was like near ink and then it was Pagoda. But then there is separation of church and state with the foundation. But there was a little bit of bleed over with a couple of people. I think I was one of those people. So I used to just jokingly call my title puppet, puppet master because I was mostly in charge of at the end there, like a bunch of teams trying to build things. And man, is that hard. Man, so you were yeah. part of the people that were transferred over, like Tiffany, Corwin. I think Tiffany was doing analytics or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think in that case, yeah, I probably would be technically Pagoda. Yeah. I think it was just one of those weird situations where it was like, there's certain things that will bleed up, bleed through. By the way, two things. First is they're actually related, not exaggerating. We have to get a castle in Burgundy or whatever we can get it and make it fun make it exciting and make it competitive. Ah, it's gone. Aloha. You're back. All right. Okay, we gotta get a castle in Burgundy. Make it fun, yeah. make it exciting, make it competitive. You, Ilya, the top of the top that we can get, 50%, and the other 50%, let's get builders. Yeah. Could be projects that are up and running, could be newer people. Let's have people apply to be, I wanna be part of this group. Yeah, we cover all the I'll, expenses. No one should be excluded because they can't fly or whatever. We've been doing a pretty good job with the new hacker houses when there are conferences. Yeah. But I'm thinking maybe like a maybe like a two week sprint or something. Ideally longer, yeah. but I know that people are aging gracefully and now people have families and whatnot. Yeah. Two week sprint. I, mean, I think that would work. And even I'll say the thing about the family is I, so Trevor, co-founder of Croncat is also, I went with him to an East Denver hackathon back in the day and we won some prize from Quorum, which, which I think has changed to something else. But parents too 
are, wait, I'm allowed to be gone for two weeks. I'm hacking as hard as I can, dude. So yes, people are aging gracefully, but I think parents actually are the opposite where they're like, dude, like you got four hours of sleep and you're tired. Dude, I didn't sleep and I'm still up. I saw okay. that firsthand yep. in Korea because Luckier was there with his wife. Wife is Korean. I have a, yeah. at the time, a six month old. And he I've was seen pictures. It's so cute, dude. This kid is adorable. So yeah. And for the, I think it was like six days of the conference just before and just after, he stayed closer to the venue. Dude, we partied so hard. I think he got an hour of sleep, but he was like, dude, I only get this six fucking days. Then yeah, I'm yeah, back yeah. to it. working full time and a startup and a baby. These are my six days. Yeah. Dude, he was emceeing during the day on stage. Oh, wow. Party all night. I really do admire him. Once again, he brings energy and culture to near. Yeah, I think I was good at that too. And I'm not saying this to, to, to my own horn, but I do think I lost it at some point where I think it was just like my whole life has been like, I've been trying to figure out how to do what all humans want to do, which is find freedom. And th there was a period of my life where I was like living in Hawaii and I was like looking into Alaskan crab fishing, where it's known as one of the most dangerous things, but you can go and walk and come back with a 90 grand for a couple of months of like slight, you if know, you come back. really hard work. And then, when, and then I arrived at near and it was like, just set, set the scene from my point of view. It was just like, everyone is working super hard. And it's like, this is your shot, dude. This is your shot in life. And Vlad Gracina, who like, it's funny, I, I saw him in Paris. We got to hang out. I, I love Vlad. And he's just like a silly guy that stands weirdly and says weird things or whatever. But like, that dude, he wrote near CLI. He wrote near APIJS. Dude, back in the day, it was like, there was no like planning necessary. I'm sure there was like some amount of planning, but it wasn't like, should we do this thing? It was like, obviously we're going to do it. And Vlad was just like writing everything. And then we're like, okay, cool. Now let's just try this. And I think maybe it's easy to get swept up in that where you just like, okay, we're all working a hundred hours a week, but this may be our shot. And then naturally an organization grows and then things drastically slow down to where all of a sudden this, wait, how come we haven't added new things or whatever? I think I didn't deal with that well, but yeah, it was a massive change. I think from the beginning, it was just like, you don't ask permission to, to push a change to that repo. You see something wrong, you just push it yourself. What do you mean you didn't fix it? That was like the kind of like vibe, at least that I was interpreting. It was wild, dude. It was great. I love listening the stories from the inside because there's a fascinating dynamic, but implicit dynamic between the community and that leadership. Even if you're behind a keyboard and nobody knows who you are, what happened to that early cohort? Burnout, bull market, and you did your bidding, 20 bucks, you're out. Like, where are you skid enough these days? Like, sometimes near, I feel, has an identity crisis. Like, between 180 when I got in and 20, like, who's still in the boat? Who's still rowing? Yeah. Do we have yeah. the energy to make it back to 20? Yeah. It's also, so this is really the, I'm a late bloomer to Web3, and, and this is my first actual bear market where it, like, has hurt a lot. And we don't know what recovery looks like every time because, and I say this because like this has never been done before in human history. We've never had the possibility of exchanging value between two human beings like directly. And yes, there's going to be middlemen because they make marketplaces, but still it is like direct. And there was like the dot-com bust. I think I was graduating high school and the dot-com bust was happening and everyone was speculating on internet stuff and then just everything like plummeted and nothing ever came back like that. Right. And then of course the internet succeeded, duh. Right. And it just like went more like mellow. Like it's not out of the realm of possibility that 
just happened that we saw like a bunch of blockchains launch and prices went crazy and then maybe it's going to settle down. I really hope that it comes back to where it was. Obviously, it'd be crazy if I said I didn't want that. We literally have no idea if this next bull market is going to be the same or if it's no, now it's just like a dollar forty-five, and that's where it's going to be and the world is fine and things are going to slowly grow. Yeah, we, yeah, we are definitely in like in the frontier. Dot-com bubble is a good period of time to study because if you look at the crop of founders, I listen to way too many podcasts. Usually it's either the dot-com bubble or the GFC in 2008. There's very clear crops of founders that come from each. What, 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 what was GFC? I, I actually don't know. The global financial crisis, 2008. Ah, oh, derp, yeah. Lots of Ivy League people graduating, jobs market being frozen. It's a couple of people that literally started on these big Wall Street firms and they went bust. The next day they were like, oh, I guess there goes my job. Yeah. But one thing that is probably different of that successful, let's call them like the class of the late 2000s, the Zuckerberg type. Zuckerberg probably had that master plan or a vision. Mm. It was probably not immediately clear to many people at the time. It's still there for a reason, for better or worse. That's the kind of master vision or plan that I hope Ilya has. And because there's so many things about Nier that are not really Web3. Like Nier missed out to a large extent, in my point of view, from the bull run. And for context, I bought both Solana and Nier at 180. Solana goes hmm. to 250, Nier went to just under 20. Because Nier was too much like Web2, like the user experience. People didn't hmm. feel like they were using crypto. A team in Korea actually told me they were not going to hack using the boss because it was too simple. Like they didn't feel like they were hacking at all. Oh, now, interesting. The full context of that one was that there was only one price for boss and it was so simple that they thought everybody was going to do it. So they, were, yeah. they wanted to go for like a different stream. But it just goes to show that we may be putting all these amazing advanced tools in place where it feels very close to Web2, which leaves us facing, which it's the worst place which leaves us being the only or one of the only ecosystems faced with a real challenge of building real products. Building a real product is very hard. So yeah, that's why when I ask you about those primitives and how can we deconstruct them from a real product, I guess we just got to come back and have the superhero panel. Yeah, dude. And also let's try it with Keypalm for crying out loud. Maybe there's something I don't know about why it hasn't taken off, but this does seem to be like Let's start with stuff that's using this leveraging superpowers that no one else can do. Really seems every event could be using this or, or min ticket. I don't know. Or maybe min ticket and keep on get together. And then you give me the $3 million and then we change the world. I, 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 I don't know. But it's like, like I, yes, let's have the ideation phase, a roundtable thing. But let's also double down on things that are like super unique. And I don't know, e even rebrand the crossword puzzle. It's not that great, but it is actually a replacement for Coinbase Earn, it is actually useful. And it's like, for us, like by us. Yeah, I mean, perhaps this branding is something we can lean on more for that one. I think we've been going for three hours or more. So three call to actions. I'm not gonna list them because I may forget some, I may add more. Yeah. First, it'd be really good if you rekindle with Max, because cool. he's now leading DevHub, which is technically outside of Pagoda under the grassroots vertical. They've been very strategic in not co-mingling it with the NDC too much, just to make sure that DevHub can survive regardless of what happens in this mess. 
Pagoda has wind down. DevRel, all of DevRel now falls under DevHub. All of the hackathon sponsorship. They're even calling for DevRels now to literally just travel to hackathons and mentor people. Oh. It's very open-ended. And I think that it'd be really good if you could have a chat with Max and see if there's something there that could suit you at this stage now. And maybe there's a transition sometime in the future. Second thing, keep on team. Basically the same. I had a chat and I've got a call pending. Mostly to help on the BD side. So basically every founder out there, let them know what Keepom is. I do know that they not only need help on that, but they also will need help just like on the actual building. I think that's going to be, I don't want to speak on their behalf, but if you think of a SaaS model, like the open source, anyone can use it. And then that's going to be the, we will integrate and deliver good for you. I love it. I love it. So yeah, there could be some really good opportunities there as well, especially as they are gearing up for a race and expanding the team. The other one is let's get the castle in Burgundy going. Yes. I got five on it, meaning I'll chip in five bucks or 5,000. Yeah, let's whatever. do it. So we've got that castle going. I'd love to do it in Australia during winter in the north. It is what it is. And then we'll get the three million and set up a product studio and just like build really cool shit. Oh, it, 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 sound, it sounds amazing, dude. I, I think that there's like still stuff that hasn't really been tried on near and I, I, it's almost like this is almost like this is not going to sound funny but i'm serious this is this would be like a, a mental health break for people like Ilya. i would think or he's probably gonna be too busy but like builders who are not able to really build like, just come on guys let's talk about this especially after spending a week in berlin uh with some cosm wasm devs I, it was just so invaluable so invaluable yeah and, and there was a time i'll tell you i'll tell you something more like I told you that like function call access keys are possible on Cosmos now, like finally figured it out. And there was times when I was hanging out with those human beings, and this is why we should do this castle in Burgundy, is I would be like, hey guys, I, I wrote this thing and it's like really weird. It's like kind of like self-referential and like it works, but I don't really know what we should use it for. And then immediately someone sitting next to me is, you know what you could do with that? You could do that. Because I just, I, it's like I created something out of intuition and then someone else is like filling in like the blanks. And, they, and that happened multiple times where it was like something about being around human beings, IRL, there's like magic, dude. We got more done, like kind of product wise thinking in seven days than we, I think we could have got done in six months online. I, I'm not exaggerating. Like it, there's something really magical about that. I love the idea. I believe it. Let's get it done. And by the way, this was a joke last year. Cameron Dennis was kind enough and crazy to invite me to the Near Foundation cruise along the river after NearCon. Oh, Con. cool. I awesome. was the only non-Foundation or Pagoda employee there. Hey, 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 look at you. As we're going around, I see uh, CMO Jack. First, I saw a very derelict warehouse on the side of a mountain. And I was going to tell Jack that we should buy it. But then my logical question was oh like we should have bought the one that we just used it's like hey jack like th why didn't we buy the bear house and he's oh trust me like we tried like they're pulling a bid but it was already taken like all that area has been sold oh, it's wow. kind of renovated and that's when it clicked for me we spend so much fucking money anyway you could literally buy the castle in burgundy and make it like a tradition or hmm. almost like a residence entrepreneur in yeah. residence this is our headquarters the top tier people, we get together. It could be a set challenge. It could be a vertical. It could be bring your work and you work alongside these people. It's not that much money when you take into account how much money we spend on other shit that their return may not be as tangible or maybe it's not a fair way to compare. But if we are really entering that stage of 
we need to attract developers and we want to attract the best ideation. developers that we can. Yeah. Not just ideation, but people want to be surrounded by 18 players. This yeah. is the Navy SEALs of developers. Yeah. We've got a fucking castle near you. Ha. Huh? I will require my own throne when we do this, though. So I'll we'll shit in the bucket the as soon as I'm allowed to be there. Okay. Sir Mike, you're amazing. Awesome. We've got to get you back. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Yeah, dude. Like, it's been pretty rough personally and professionally the past couple, like, weeks. And this has really been fantastic. And uh, yeah, and, and shout out to AGT and other people who have just been reaching out. And Cameron and, and Josh Ford and Shevchenko who I've been talking with recently. And yeah, let's go near. And yeah, it's been wonderful, like, thinking about all of these wonderful early days as well with you. So th thanks for prompting that. And yeah, let's definitely do another one. Let's make it happen. Now we've got a handful of people that hopefully will be following up as well and reaching out with new ideas. Yeah. That's the end of another episode. As always, I just want to thank you for listening because let's be honest, you are amazing. And I also want to remind everyone that everything contained in this episode is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast shall be construed as financial, medical, or any other type of advice, and you should always consult with licensed professionals before making any financial decisions. Make sure that you like and subscribe so that you stay up to date with the latest episode. We've got a steamy hot pipeline of guests that will keep you entertained right through the bear market. Stay safe out there, and I'll see you soon. Bye.